you guys asked for it. And of course, I try to deliver every time you guys give me some feedback. And uh, I've been getting this from quite a few of you. You have wanted more episodes about lighting, right? And uh, since I've been out here, I've had a lot more exposure to really talented, really amazing people because uh, all the people that we watch on the internet are out here in Los Angeles in one way or another. Um, <clears throat> and please deal with the fact that this poor son of a bitch has been bedridden with a sinus infection for the first half of the week. Uh, Liam, who is supposed to be doing his first week here, he's off mic, sitting here smiling at me, uh, had to work from home. <laughs> Literally drove cross country <coughs> and had to work from home because I got sick, which fucking sucks. Um, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so um, my point is, you guys wanted another episode on lighting. You know what a nerd I am about light. Um, but I didn't want to just do the same thing. We've already done an episode with a few gaffers. I have another episode planned with another gaffer, which we'll get totally into the technical art science. Not even the art science. The technical art of onset lighting. But I had an experience about a week ago. At this point, when this episode comes out, it'll probably be two weeks ago, um, where I got invited to go to a lighting seminar uh, that was hosted by one of the sponsors of the show, Quasar Science, and um, also hosted by Aperture. And um, I was invited by uh, our guest today, um, Tim Kang. And uh, he really didn't let me know what the, the, the whole seminar was about. Now, if you guys are in the business and if you've ever been to NAB, if you've ever been to sort of tech seminars, they're usually pretty fucking boring. It's usually an opportunity for a manufacturer to bring you in, talk up their product, sell how cool their product is. You get to put your hands on the product and then they somehow tell you that this is the thing that you need to own. Right, and that's generally what these things are. And I've done them on the East Coast plenty of times, so I was expecting it to be, you know, maybe a room full of like 20 people. Right, uh, I sort of overbooked myself that day, took on too many meetings, and uh, ended up late. And to my fucking surprise, there was a line around the building. I don't know how many, how many people would you say were there? Like at least 150, if not 200 people. Was a, oh, you were 15th in line. No fucking bragging. Shut up. I'm doing the intro. <laughs> so, uh, so we show up to this thing, uh, and they're putting on this event that sort of exposes the truth behind RGB LED lighting, right? Now, what I should do if I was any other content creator on the internet, I should come up with some clickbaity title for this thing, like the lies behind RGB LED lighting. They've been lying to you. This should be some sort of clickbait thing uh, to get uh, more viewers, right? More listeners for the show. I don't know, maybe not. The truth of the matter is, what we're gonna talk about on this episode with Tim, who is amazing. He's a color scientist, he's a cinematographer, uh, he was trained 
as a, a what it was it was a biologist was what he was saying a biomedical engineer thank you um he's a pretty amazing very nerdy guy now i have not met him in person i had not met him in person i've already recorded the show i'm doing this intro now um so i expected this show to be incredibly nerdy incredibly science-based incredibly boring you know what i mean because most of that is when you're a creator in our field uh, a lot of us are more focused on the art a lot of us are more focused on the emotion and for me, I'm kind of that way, and I kind of feel like lights are just a tool, and they're supposed to just be a tool. And so I was a little concerned before I sat down with Tim. And I saw him do the uh, seminar, and he was a great dude, very uh, approachable guy. He seemed really cool in person. Um, but still, like, what are we going to do? Am I going to pull someone here on the episode from Quasar, and we're going to talk science, right? All right, so how far is this show going to go? Surprisingly it goes to a lot of really interesting places, right? It turns out that sans the science education that uh, he has, we both were trained the same way. We both were trained the same way in film. We both were trained on Black and White 16. We come from a lot of the same roots, which I really identified with. Um, and he's a cinematographer first. He was a photographer before that. And so he really believes in telling stories with images. And that's what he does really fucking well. Um, and because he has his background in science and because he has the rhythms, the systems, um, the repetition that comes with that, he was able to do some testing on LED lights that really caught the attention of Quasar Science, that caught the attention of everybody that works in the industry because of a lot of the stuff that he revealed about LED units, okay? So stick around. If you are someone that wants to know some cool new lighting techniques, if you want to learn some new tricks that are going to change your images, uh, <laughs> this isn't the show for you. If you want to know the science behind how this stuff works, if you want to understand why when you use a rainbow-colored LED unit, and it doesn't show the same colors on camera that your eye is seeing, this is a good episode for you, right? And what I really like about this show is it shows the route that an individual took. And we talk about this. We talk about how Tim got started and we plot out how he got to where he is now. And in that progression, we see how all of his life experiences led to this moment so it's a great fucking show i'm really excited that you guys are here i'm very happy that i'm hanging out here with liam and uh, he's doing all the recording he's watching my little waveforms go in this is a luxury for me because usually i'm doing that and talking to you and looking at my cheat sheet for these intros and today i get to just be talent <laughs> which is nice uh, okay, so <clears throat> I just want to say up front, thank you guys for continuing to support the show. Thank you for following us on Instagram, following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, and following the podcast at In Love With The Process uh, pod, that's In Love With The Process, P-O-D, on Instagram. Um, there you guys have been giving me feedback. You guys have been telling me what you want to hear on the show. 
you want more with lighting, I'm bringing you lighting. I'm bringing you the kind of lighting info that you didn't know you wanted. No algorithm came up with this show, guys. This is hard, real-life research that came up with this show. Uh, and uh, you're going to listen to this episode. If you're into lighting, if you use lighting gear, you're going to come out of the back end of it going, holy shit, I guarantee you. Um, so stick around. I think that's all I'm going to do for the intro. I'm not going to get too deep with it. Uh, so you know the deal. Find those noise-canceling headphones. Uh, find a good spot. Right now we're sitting in the living room. The sun's gone down. Oh, by the way, when you listen to this show today, you're going to hear the very best of the post-apocalyptic Los Angeles that we live in, okay? And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you'll hear it. And it stays with the episode, a good portion of the episode. And it also says something about production and live, well, not really live production, but recording production, that as soon as you set up microphones anywhere... The world goes to fucking hell. <laughs> so you will hear it. You will be here with us, sitting here in the living room, in my space. I still have the fucking Christmas tree up. Uh, what date? What's today's date? I don't even know. What's the recording date today? 16th. January 16th. Christmas tree is still up. We're in this space. A couple of beers. A fucking bowl full of pretzels. And uh, the world goes to shit outside. But we stay focused on LED lighting and, and cinema lighting and storytelling and cinematography and photography. So like I said, you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, grab a bowl of pretzels and some beer, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Tim. Thanks for being on the show, dude. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Uh, it's super cool to have you here, especially uh, since uh, I've got a relationship with Quasar. I don't know. I think you know that you, you guys are sponsoring our show. They're a sponsor on the show. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm now so, you know. Now I know. <laughs> I'm so removed from all that. Yeah. So Thankfully. yeah, we promote you guys all the time. Oh, thanks. Um, and then uh, you invited me to that uh, super cool lighting thing last week. Mm-hmm. Um, which has kind of been mind-blowing. Uh, funny thing enough, my cinematographer that shoots all my movies is a guy named David Crudo. Mm-hmm. And uh, he runs a, a, a Facebook group and now a Instagram group called the Cinematography Salon. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on that now. Yeah, yeah. so he runs that. Someone added me uh, a couple months ago. So, yeah. So after I went to your <laughs> after I went to your event, I sent, like, it was, I got out of there at, like, 10... And uh, I sent him like late night texts because he's East Coast. And yeah. I'm just like, you're going to have to buy jails now. And he just sent me a response. He's like, I am never buying jails in my fucking life again. And I was like, watch this video. <laughs> so I sent him a video that you did. And the next morning he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, and for those of you listening at home, this sounds like an inside joke. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about uh, your history, where you come from, where you started. Uh, sure. Well, I, uh, I'm the son of Asian immigrants. 
Uh, I grew up in the East Coast, in Jersey, Philly, New York, all around there, and went to school in Baltimore. Um, Baltimore is the, uh, or Balmer as the uh, locals say over there. <laughs> um, and I actually studied biomedical engineering. That was my undergrad major. But even then, I was like, this is not... I'm doing this because I feel like I have to. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Like, as a kid, do you did you sit there and go, I want to be a bioengineer? Or no, it, no, no. I mean, no. I got into a university called Johns Hopkins University. And that was what they were known for. When I got in, I didn't even know. I, I mean, I knew they were known for medical stuff. But then, uh, you know, for undergrad, I didn't know what they were for. But that was the, the top major that they had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I figured, well... Sure, I'll try it because I don't know what else I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> and I ended up picking, everybody there says it's the hardest major, major in the country, which I didn't know until I was in, in the middle of it. I was like, oh, holy, what did I just <laughs> do myself? Out of all the things yeah. to randomly pick. <laughs> but, but, you know, as my creative outlet, because I, I, even my, in, in high school and growing up, I was equally kind of, my, my SAT scores, I, I, was, I had the same score in both math and and, 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 and literature and, and, and yeah literature and I like both equally uh-huh. um, so I just that's why I was so confused I just didn't know what to do um, but I would just on my off time instead of well I I was a social butterfly but I also loved to on my own my little escape was I would go to a floor in the library where they had all the DVDs and movies and they had little booths with mm-hmm. headphones and stuff mm-hmm. and private TVs kind of, kind of sounds shady you know <laughs> <laughs> but I would watch, but I would like watch, like, I would go through all these lists, you know, the best movies of whatever, the century. Right, do, right, so, right. you know, watch like Citizen Kane. I watch like 2001. And from that to like Seven Samurai for the first time. And, and I was like, why would anyone watch this? It's so boring. <laughs> can't, can't handle more than like half an hour. I'm falling asleep. And then, and then I was like, I got to fight through this. And then I watched it again. And, and by the fourth time, I was like, this is amazing. Like, how do you not want to see this? And then, yeah. you know, so, so that was kind of my, like, my introduction into, wait, I love this. This is not just a thing I'm into. Like, I grew up loving movies, mm-hmm. but this was the next level. Like, even when I watched, like, Shaft, you know, you know the original 70s Shaft, and I was like, this is... This is really interesting, yeah. you know, and, and, and not just on the entertainment level, but just the the what vibe, was the vibe, the just all the stuff that it was, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of the genesis of it all, and uh, but then I thought I wanted, I wanted to be a musician, and and I, I had already been in the audio, did a lot of audio stuff, and you know, front front house of concerts, I, I played guitar, I had grew up playing trumpet, and did all that stuff. So I thought, okay, I go to New York. After I got into grad school, and between you know grad school because I I thought I had to, and it was a disaster. <laughs> I quit after a semester and a half, but I I thought I was going to be a musician, so I was taking guitar lessons and gigging and trying to find bands, and uh, it was just oh no, I'm I it was so hard for me to admit that I I was not meant to do it. Really, to be a musician? Why? Why were you not meant to do it? Um, as a profession. Oh. You know, like you, you can never take that away. You know, I love music, but you know, I just remember like taking uh, guitar lessons and with this incredible guitar teacher, um, oh. Eli Menezes. Uh, he he was actually a, a really accomplished session player, about the same age as me, actually. Wow! Already, he's from Brazil and he's touring around the world. 
and with all these big artists and you, you know the, it was just like this upper east side apartment and he's just barely scraping by and, and not upper east side isn't the rich upper east side. i'm talking <laughs> about like spanish home kind of yeah 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 and i was just like oh my goodness like you are so much better than i could ever be because you, of the quality of life that he was living? Yeah. I was just like, you, you practice so much more. You're just so much better at, at this. You're getting all these gigs. and But you're, you're, it's just so hard. Yeah. It's just so hard. Like, I don't think I just have the chops for this. Yeah. Even if I was as good as you, naturally, and well-practiced, and had the time to practice. And, and, and I just kind of went through the Rolodex of all the stuff that he he had in his life, that he who he was, and have... Uh, not as a role model, but just an example of like, hey, this is what it means to be right. a career musician. I was like, this is, I, I just can't do this. I'm not cut out for it. Smart. And here I am doing film. <laughs> 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 but ultimately, like, um, it was good because I, I, I respect him. I, I still do. I mean, I think like, I respect music. I'm not saying, I'm, it's definitely not a looking down on it, but it was the opposite. It was like, I just don't think I'm good enough. I don't have the passion enough to practice that much. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was more of like a love thing, but not a love where you turn into a work. It's smart. It's a yeah. smart move because a lot of people don't get there. And when did you, did you get there? It took you being with him to see this and uh, actually experience how he was living his life. And then you sort of understood. Well, it was. It, that was one piece of the puzzle. I saw a bunch of my friends were trying to start record labels and it was just in the middle of all of it. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, like he was an example, a very good example of what I saw to be how you can make a living out of doing this. Yeah. And this is like, you know, 2004, right. 2005, when already you already had the fallout from, from Napster, from, from Napster and, and everything. Yeah. It had already happened. And no one knew what to do. So I was like, how do you make this career? And all my friends, I'm seeing them struggle. Yeah. You know, they're gigging and gigging and gigging and putting out CDs and all the stuff. And it's just so hard for very little return. Yeah. You know? And it's not even about the glory. It's just, you do it because you love it. But at the end of the day, you're going to still have to pay your bills. And have a family if you want eventually, you know. So, it, which is um, ironic too, because yeah. now our industry is seeing that. Yeah, now we're getting to that point with yeah. our industry, and the, I guess the big difference is maybe at least as a musician, you can get up on stage and kind of be sexy and still get yeah. chicks. Maybe not filmmaking. No way. <laughs> it's not there. Nope. Um, yeah. All right. But, so yeah. That, so then you decided that you weren't going to be a musician. Yeah, but I was also taking fo- photographs. Um, and, and doing photography and started getting into it and I realized the response I was getting was much stronger to my fo- my photography than my music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of put two and together. Wait a second. I'm decent at music because I visualize it in my head. Mm-hmm. And that's the construct that I used to get into music was I see it in my head. So it was a visual thinker. Mm. And... When I started getting into photography and started, and I like went to the library and looked up all the, just see who 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 are photographers that in you know, history and you know, went through all their books and picked the ones that I liked and I got really into them. I would study them and then Bill Eggles, Bill Eggleston was one that I really mm-hmm. liked a lot and they just come out with a documentary and went to see that in in um, the village in in New York City and I was like wow, like he sees the world the way I do. Yeah, you know, and and not to say that I have delusions of grandeur that I would ever have. The level of artistry that he has, but it's more, it was that kind of democratization of, hey, if he can do it, I can do it too, sort of feeling. Yeah, like yeah. just the way that he kind of cased the scene and, and looked at it and just the way he would position himself and move his body around is 
pretty much exactly how I photograph places. And, went, and it just felt right. It must have been very empowering to actually yeah. see that. And yeah, and just to see that him do that activity was was a huge inspiration for me. Yeah. So, um, and also just, I think, because I connected to his art. Because it was a kind of abstractness to it that it just looked like it's nothing initially. Mm-hmm. And then you just, but there's something intangible and striking about his 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 uh, use of color and composition and, and themes um, and, and so on that I resonated with and I was trying to, to become that. Him yeah. and um, Armie Cartier-Bresson. Uh, I don't, I never took French, so I do destroy <laughs> that. Did I don't. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, it was just that the decisive moment yeah, yeah. versus the studied Eggleston approach, which he just kind of really just studied and then, and then sniper, you know, like he he, he took the shot, kind mm-hmm. of. And that I was kind of like that, uh, and and so both that, and then I started doing wedding gigs, and mm-hmm. I started doing concerts and just street life, and it just like went two hundred percent in. I loved it. I bought, so this is all still photography at this point. It's all still photography, yeah. And then I bought, so I decided I'm going to buy my first digital SLR because it was starting to get more viable at the time. Yep. And I literally bought it the day that the third prequel came out. In New York City, Revenge of Oh the, the Sith, Sith. <laughs> and I remember because I was walking to B and H, uh-huh. and uh, and the, there's the Lowe's on Thirty Second Street. Yeah, I know. Thirty Fourth or Thirty Second, I can't. Thirty uh, Fourth, I think. And there was a long line of block, and I thought it was like wait, I was like wait, it was Wednesday. I thought the movie came out on Saturday, but you know it was early release. Pre release, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was just, and it's just a distinct memory. That was my first memory of getting my own thing, my own hard earned cash. Yeah, of doing the scientific research day job they had, and I bought this camera and a single, you know, fifty mil lens on a what I realize now was a super thirty five <laughs> sensor, and man, like that was just like a game changer. Like it was just like at my hip, and I just literally, and I was like, I couldn't practice music, but I could practice photography. Yeah. I could take this camera anywhere. anywhere. And I started getting into then doing film photography, then I took class at SVA, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So that was, that was kind of the, the genesis. But I, knew, I did this because I knew that this was going to be my career. It wasn't just like, I, this is a hobby. Like I bought, I, it was either I bought uh, a Fender Baseman amp <laughs> or I bought a camera. Yes, yeah, smart. And that was kind of my, my path. Yep. My, that divergence, I saw that clear path. It was the same amount of money I had saved up, and that was my decision I had to make. And I was like, you know what? I like this better anyway. I'm better at it, and I'm going to go somewhere with this, I feel like. You know, and here we are. It's like 16, <laughs> yeah, total, 16 year later, years later. So, total yeah. nerd about light now, like that yeah. transition, which yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, because... What were they? What were they calling you on that video? Uh, a color scientist or something like that? Is well, that the, is that the branding that you're getting? Well, with? I mean, the actual job is a color scientist at like Photocam uh-huh. and eFilm and all these post houses and stuff. Me, I mean, I am doing color science, but I can't. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would call myself that because I'm more of a cinematographer that uses it and. How'd you get into cinematography? How'd you make that jump from still into cinematography? Um, well, my, my wife highly encouraged me to take a film class because mm-hmm. she was like, or a couple of them actually. And, I, and the first production one was at NYU Continuing Ed. So this is about 10 years ago. And uh, it was a 16 mil black and white class. Uh-huh. And they split up the room first day. 
groups of four. They handed out turret cameras, the, S, the SR. All right, I, yeah. I went to school and used the same ones. Yeah, yeah. Every, every, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in our generation or all grew older, up on all started off with that same. Yep, the three turret camera and and you know you got a 200 foot roll of 16 mil triax, mm-hmm. and they said write a story, edit in camera, shoot it in this basement and all around the floor of this basement, um, and here are lights. Here's a meter. Here's how you use it. And uh, you got to trade positions every single shot. <laughs> well, after the second shot, everyone's just like, oh, you just stay with the lights and camera. <laughs> right, right. You know? <laughs> right. right. In my group. And I, I mean, I was like, yeah, this is, the, this is, and I, it was like lightning. It was like that. This was like, because I was 30. You know, I had just turned 30. I had, a, I, I, my friends had bought a 5D Mark II for me at uh-huh. the time already. Because they knew that, like, I was into this thing. They really thought, they wanted to encourage me to keep going. Yeah. You know? And so, but that was like, wow, like, everything that I am, am professionally and in, in a work environment and who I am is embodied in this position as a cinematographer. You know, I, because I'm not a good writer I, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, fictional, like, coming up with a story. Like, I'm not that guy. Right. I can analyze something and write about something. Right, right, right. And come up with a narrative that way, but not... Add a, yeah, like create... You know, being that kind of... You know, that's a different kind of mind. I don't have exactly, that kind of mind. Exactly. And I feel like you need to have that as a writer and as a director. You need to be able to... Because conce- that's why also, like, I didn't like doing stills as a career either, ultimately because you basically have to become a director. If yeah. you really want to, like, be a big-name photographer... You're, you're essentially directing. Um, you're essentially, yeah, you're just a director. Or not just, sorry. I don't mean to use the word just in a pejorative way. But you, you, you have a vision and you come up with a concept and, you, and you're using photography to achieve the concept. And, and that you're was being, directing talent. You're dealing yeah. with your producers. You're dealing with all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, and, and that was the New York world. And I had friends <laughs> that were doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I realized, wow, I wish I could be this, but yeah. I definitely don't have that talent. But a DP... I like you know I'm a middle child. We're the middle children of <laughs> of set, you know. So I feel like this was like I was born literally <laughs> to do this. To do this, you know. <laughs> you know, I grew up in this in kind of power. This this uh, uh, position in the power structure of a family. Yeah. You know, like that's the same exact thing as a DP on set. I never you know? thought of. I, yeah, I never so, thought of that. That's funny. Um, I, I, it's just I've had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just funny because it, you know, it's like you you answer to someone. Mm-hmm. There's a greater vision. There's a story. Ultimately, you answer to the story, no matter right. what. You don't answer to your own personal tastes of what filmmaking and cinematography is. You answer to a story, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, ideally, right? If and you're good. If, yeah. yeah. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. If you're good. Yeah. Well, every you know, the benefit of going to AFI is I had so many mentors there, and you had so many great guests come in, and all the people that have made all the stuff that I loved watching when I was growing up yeah. sitting in front of me and get to ask me the questions. Yeah. It was a broken record. Every single one of them. That's about the story. It's about the story. It's about the story. Forget about yourself. It's about the story. You bring yourself in by just the fact that you're doing it. Right. But you, it's about the story, you know? So over and over I hear that again and yeah, it's true. It's like, that was kind of for me, like you serve that, but ultimately there's still a director that has a vision for realizing that story. Right. And that's where the director becomes a director. And I'm not that. You know, I, I'm an interpreter. 
you know, I can analyze something and, and see all the points and, and, and nuances and, and the underlying currents of everything and translate that into a visual language mm-hmm. and figure out how can that visual language serve that and use a visual, come up with five different ways to use visual language techniques to do that so that whichever one sticks with what jives with the director's vision ultimately sure. is... Is the Wait, one that you end up doing. Is the one that you end up doing. And I, that, that whole process is my favorite. I, I love doing that. I love that research aspect. And that that's like my favorite part. Pre-pro is that. Is, yeah. You know, it's just like, you know, it's not just the story. It's not just the plot. It's like, what's the story behind the story? What's yeah, the, fuck yeah. Yeah. It's like, what's the character want? Who are they? What are the themes here? And then how do we realize this in the progression of the visual uh, approach? Right. How am I yeah. subtly telling... The backstory right. that we're not actually telling you on the yeah. screen. And, and that's yeah. when you bring into the whole literary, literary aspect of, mm-hmm. okay, so how do you understand literature? But then also, how do you understand art? You know, when, you know, all the Renaissance painters and so on, um, or e- even um, the modernist painters, how do they break down what the, these scenes and create a, a painting out of it? Sure. And, and tell the story with one, essentially one frame. Sure. You know, and, and it was that, it's that same thing, you know, the same level of like, okay, you understand visual language and color and, and even just brushstrokes sure. you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, and what do they mean yeah. and what do they emotionally mean? Yeah. That's fascinating. And the thing that's really yeah. interesting about cinematography, and I think I started to be a cinematographer and I started to veer more into the directing aspect because I feel like a, a great cinematographer all has that knowledge has that art background, has that understanding of the connotation of light and what it means. Right. But then they also have the ability to get real techie yeah. and, and understand uh, how the technology becomes tools and uh, what the benefits are. Right. Like how over the 150 years that have existed, if you use a 50 millimeter lens, this is how the audience is going to respond sure. because they're based upon that. Yeah. And I ended up splitting away from that because I felt it's two different sides of your brain that start to have to cooperate. It's almost like dealing with the money and the creatives on the, yeah. on the other end. Yeah. And I was just like, ah, I got to get more <laughs> into the story. So I ended yeah. up splitting off. Yeah. Um, but you, you get real techie, right? Are you, are you, do you like the gear or are you more uh, art-based? I'm not a gear guy. Okay, and people cool. get really surprised by this because of how technical I am. Yeah. But I'm technical because I have a technical background. So I have a language and I understand on engineering. Right. I studied biomedical engineering. I had a concentration in mechanical engineering, and uh, I had a math minor. No big deal. And I hated math, and yet I did it because literally because of the major was so intensive. Jesus. I just had to take one more class, and I got a math minor. So that's what I did because it was very practical. It was just a very practical approach to education. <laughs> but ultimately, like even then, though, like I my approach to that back then was like everyone was pre med, and that's why they were killing themselves because they needed to get A's, but it was so hard to get an A. Yeah. And you need A's to get into med school, right? Yeah. I wasn't that. I didn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't want anything to, but to be a doctor, much to my parents' chagrin, you know. <laughs> yeah. But right. I just yeah. wanted to understand what this thing was. What is this concept? What are, the, what are we teaching? And so my grades were mediocre because I was always late. And I was just, I was there doing the homework to understand what was being taught, mm-hmm. not to get it done for the grade. God. And I was that kind of person. So, well, I still am, I guess. But it was that kind of thinking that helped me. I feel like I, it paid off because um, I still remember all my classes. 
You know, mm-hmm. most a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. My, my when I talk to my wife, she doesn't remember any of her classes. <laughs> but for me, it was like because I wasn't there to just get a grade. I was there to learn something, and I it was that underlying approach. Just how do you break down a problem? How do you understand what the actual thing is? What are the tools you have to approach to use it? Yeah. And, and then how do you solve the problem, or how do you express yourself through that? I mean, ultimately, that's filmmaking too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so that you know that kind of uh, discipline was what I got from my undergrad, and also from being in the research world as my day job for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It was, I mean, I just, yeah. I don't know why I'm chuckling so much, but you just came in here today <laughs> with such a pure exhaustion. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm not going to lie, but yeah. But it, it was, yeah, it's just even that too. Like, you know, the scientific research is just, it's brutal because you you have to do the same thing yeah. every day. You have to be repeatable. Yeah. And so, and you, you would, you know, an experiment would take a month, two months, three months of literally doing the same thing every day and you have to be perfect. You screw up and you, you got to start all up over the again. whole experience. Yeah, and you got to start all over again and so, you know, I did a lot of microscope work, which is where I got my physics understanding of all the light stuff that we you, you, you saw at the presentation last week, but Sure. Um, but ultimately all that was foundation. You know, I didn't understand it at the time, that's why I was so miserable. That's so interesting yeah. because then that, that's one of those things that over time and age and experience yeah. you realize that all this time that you've spent doing is actually building a foundation that yeah. becomes who you are later. Yeah. And it may not necessarily be, hey, I'm going to be a scientist, but it's also, yeah. I learned these steps, I learned right. these skills, and I'm going to apply yeah. them. And it yeah. makes sense. And it, it, it applies to filmmaking in, in the sense that um, when you shoot a feature, when mm-hmm. you make a feature, it's the same feeling that I had when I was doing research in the sense of you get tired of the same thing. You know, it's not just a short film or a commercial, maybe two, three weeks, maybe even four, or if you're lucky and you have a real budget, you can do multiple months, right? Yeah. That's discipline. You got to have discipline to be able to stick to your vision that you planned in pre-pro. And then you just grind in that fucking And grind it out. But it's hard because you you get bored on set. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but you just want to spice it up a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. want to make it more interesting. You want to, oh, you know, let me, we haven't done it yet, but let's add that backlight in there. Yeah. You know, let's do, <laughs> let's make it so, look so good in this way. And all you, you, you lose sight of it. But it's hard to maintain that discipline over a long period of time. Right. Cause then in the edit room, the director, yeah. Like, that oh my gosh. Yeah. What are we guy. thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's out, of, you know, you don't, hardly do you ever shoot in sequence and, mm-hmm. And if things don't match, things don't match. And so that's where the discipline comes in. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where, like, um, I feel like that I got from having to do the same thing every day. <laughs> by the way, dark closet by the way, it sounds years. like uh, California is on fire in the background. <laughs> 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 I don't know it, what's going on. It has been a quiet afternoon here yeah. in Glendale. Oh, of course, when, when you start rolling... Yeah. Yeah. They're just, I think they're just out there running sirens. Yeah. It's fine. We'll keep talking. To yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of how I got to this point because I, and then I applied to AFI uh-huh. after I realized that I applied to AFI, I applied to USC, applied to NYU and Chapman and UC, all, all the major film schools, and I got in a couple of them. But to my surprise, I got into AFI. Wow. And yeah. that was my, you know, I, I, I was 30. I knew what I wanted. I wasn't just a kid anymore. And, um, and, 
AFI is a conservatory. You, you go there specifically to study a craft of whatever craft you want to study. You, yeah. don't, you don't get a general education and decide later. So, um, so I was surprised I got in. Mm-hmm. And then we packed up and moved here. And that's why I'm so tired. <laughs> Not, nine years later. So Yeah, still, still cranking away, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, guys. So uh, it's about that time to show some love to the sponsors of this show, and uh, I'm gonna sw- I'm gonna swap it up a little bit today because today it is about Quasar Science. Tim is here from Quasar, um, and uh, regardless of all the stuff that we're talking about on the show, regardless of your initial reaction, your guttural reaction to the fact that like. Oh my God, LED lights aren't doing what they promised to do with uh, rainbow coloring. Um, they're still amazing units. They do amazing things. Like if you get, uh, if you're concerned about color, if you're concerned about color on the screen and you get yourself some white balanced units, you get yourself a daylight balanced unit or a tungsten balanced unit, they're amazing lights. Amazing lights. And <clears throat> that video that we'll point out to you. We'll post below where Tim goes through and shows you uh, how these lights hold up to the old tungsten units, how they hold up to the old HMI units. Uh, you can barely tell the difference. And the, the benefit of LED units is that they draw less power, they leave a smaller footprint, and they're programmable, which is super cool. And if you're looking for these colors, these spectrums of colors that really aren't showing up on the cameras yet, you can still gel these lights. Um, and uh, they work out fantastic. But that being said, uh, if you are just looking to do really cool color effects, if you're looking for colors in the blue spectrum, if you're looking for colors in the red spectrum, they look beautiful on screen. They really do. Um, And LED uh, technology isn't going anywhere. It's just going to improve. And Tim talks about that on the show. He's bringing awareness to the fact that this isn't working the way that he wants it to work as a DP and as a cinematographer. This isn't the working the way that we have been promising uh, our clients that it's working. And by this, I mean RGB LED technology, which means that dialing in any color of the rainbow, and you remember how in the other ads I say that you no longer need gels because you can dial in any gel color you want. It's not necessarily true. And Tim was here to point that out. He's working for Quasar to point that out. And Quasar wants to make sure that we all understand that we're lacking something in this industry and we want to demand these manufacturers to make it the way we need it. Um, and that's what's really great about him. That's really great. What it, that's what I respect about Quasar Science. And as Tim says on the show, this company was created and is run by guys that are working gaffers, that are working light techs, so they know what's up. Uh, and they're trying to create that gear that works for them on set and they're trying to give that to us and sell that to us so if you are in the market looking for new uh, led technology new led lighting technology go to quasarscience.com um, there uh, i think you can reach tim at quasar science i think he listed that in one of his videos that you can reach out to him with questions um, these guys are doing that research they're doing the legwork to create 
I don't want to say a standardization for LED lighting, but he's helping them create a new way to meter LED lights and helping create an understanding for us so that way we know the restrictions and we know what these things are capable of. And so we can create really beautiful images with them. So go to quasarscience.com, check them out. And if you're looking, excuse me, oh my God, what a fucking pig. If you're looking for some really affordable, uh, really great lights for your kit, for your own kit, uh, definitely check out their tubes. Um, so check them out, quasarscience.com. Next up, our old buddies, the, the boys, the guys that uh, build amazing PC computers. If you are an independent filmmaker, if you are a uh, recording uh, musician, if you are a video gamer, if you're a 3D artist, uh, and you're trying to run out that project and it says that it's gonna take three fucking weeks to do so, it's time to buy a new computer. And if you're gonna buy a new computer, why not make the most of that money that you need to spend? Do you wanna spend money on an unboxing experience? Or do you wanna put money into a faster render, right? I don't give a shit what box it comes in. I want the thing to come out, I want it to work great. I wanna be able to do new stuff with it. I want it to be able to do stuff that I don't know I need to do, right? And if it can't, I wanna be able to open it up and swap out a piece of hardware and have it do exactly what I need to do. That is the benefit of PCs. That is the benefit of being in sort of a, an open-faced marketplace where there's competitive pricing, right? So there isn't one specific company that is telling you to use very specific pieces of hardware and gear that require dongles and breakout kits and everything else. And each one of those little fucking bullshit parts end up costing you more and more fucking money, right? Hey, I've got all these hard drives. Good news, you got to get this fucking spider web of breakout cables in order to make those drives work on this nifty new piece of machinery that was machined to be one piece that you can't get your shit into, right? How fucking annoying was that? I was in that position when I was looking to do the upgrade. I did the research for you guys. I hunted high and low for a company that could deliver, could deliver a PC at a box that I turn on and I can edit 4K real time in my timelines with um, and had real person customer support, right? I've been getting the look from Liam all the time because I, I'm feeling older around him and I'm an old school guy, right? Keep it old school. Uh, and uh, I want fucking, when I, when I have a problem, I want to call somebody on the phone and have them pick up the phone and go, hey, hi, Mike, I know who you are and I know what computer you have and I could talk you through your fucking problem, right? I don't want to be talking, I don't want to be waiting two days for a fucking bot to get back to me. You know what I'm saying? So I hunted high and low, found this PC company, PugetSystems.com. I'm ranting through their read, but they have real-time customer support, interacting with real people. You can go to their website. You can order a system based upon the software that you're going to use. They'll suggest a basic package, and then you can talk to them, and they'll help you spend the money where you need to. You'd be surprised that there isn't one or two or three different configurations that work for every piece of software out there. Each piece of software has their own little nuances. Learn about it. Go to PugetSystems.com, check them out. Even if you're building your own PC, these guys do benchmark tests on all their hardware and they post those benchmark tests and they talk about it. I know Matt over there does post all the time with new stuff. 
Uh, so go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. Uh, let's see. Who else is uh, on the docket? Um, I'll do a read for them. Um, let's do a read for my buddies over at uh, Rule Boston Camera. So if you're a young uh, filmmaker, if you're a young photographer, uh, and you're finding it impossible to keep up with the newest and latest technology for cameras, for lenses, for lighting, um, I don't fucking blame you because it's consistently changing. Six months go by and that gear that you spent thousands and thousands of dollars on is no longer relevant in the ever-changing landscape of people needing the newest, latest, greatest stuff. Hey, I was reading this trade magazine and if I buy this camera and I walk into a room that has really shitty production design and bad actors, it's going to make it great, says the producer, right? How fucking frustrating is that for any filmmakers out there? But anyway, I digress. Go make a relationship with your local rental company. It's imperative. You go hang out with them. If you're on the East Coast above New York, rule Boston camera if they're in Boston. They're amazing. They cover like Maine, Connecticut, all these different places. They're a perfect spot to go learn about the latest and greatest gear. Their shop is filled with all these cameras that are making the movies that you love and that I love. You can go in there, schedule a time to get your hands on them. They actually run training seminars and courses and tests and they do all sorts of really cool shit. You can learn how to use it. So that way it's not all bullshit when you tell your producer that you know how to use it, right? Go check it out. Go to the local rental house. Play around with the stuff. Go to Rule. They are fantastic for it. And here's the benefit of a local rental house. There are plenty of new rental options online. But when you rent a piece of equipment, you go to set and you've rented it online. And you go to set and it fails. You're fucked. Okay? But if you're renting from a local rental house, you can call them on the phone and they will literally drive you out of replacement. Remember that, okay? Rule, Boston Camera. Go to rule.com. And, okay, so if you want to support the show, please, there's a bunch of different options on how to do so. Uh, This is where I'm going to do the audible pitch. If you haven't done so already, if you haven't been listening to another podcast and they have convinced you to sign up for the 33-day trial with their thing, if you haven't done that yet, please do it for us, right? If you go to, excuse me, too many beers, I'm going to burp. Oh, God, a fucking pig. If you go to audibletrial.com uh, backslash in love with the process, uh, there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible, which comes with a free book. Uh, gives you access to all these amazing content that they have. Uh, they don't call them books on tape anymore. <laughs> They're called like audiobooks or I don't know what they call them, but they're fantastic. They also have like podcasts. They have all sorts of different stuff. Um, sign up for the 30-day free trial. You can get a free digital audiobook, I guess is what they're calling them. Yeah, okay. I, I got a thumbs up on that one. Um, I've done it. It's great. I mean, I live out here in Los Angeles right now. And so the sad truth of it is, is that I'm in my car for three hours a day. Uh, in that amount of time, I'm either listening to podcasts like you guys are listening to this show, or I'm listening to an audiobook. Um, and it's the best thing to do. Everybody that signs up for that 30 day free trial who hasn't already done so, we get some loot. After 30 days, if you dig it, which you probably will, stick around. If you don't, cancel it. 
doesn't cost you a fucking dime, and we still get paid. It's the best way to put money in our pockets without costing you anything. Uh, so like I said, go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. Links below. For those of you who are on your iPhone and the links aren't working on your iPhone or whatever the fuck the case is, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Click on any of the episodes, but you can click on this episode directly. And you'll be able to see all sorts of images and links and shit, and there'll be all the sponsor links there. So if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, you'll find all that. And also on the inlovewiththeprocess.com website, in the sponsor page, up on top, for those of you who have never used the web before, click over to the sponsors tab. And there we have a deal with Capital One. So if you're someone who doesn't know how to manage your finances, if you're someone that is up all night spending money on Amazon uh, and you can't afford food, then please do not listen to me. Do not take any of this. I don't want to be the guy that puts you in credit card debt, so I'm not going to suggest this to you. So just don't listen right now, okay? But for the responsible people out there, for someone who is starting their own business, for someone who needs a little bit of capital to get going, for someone who uh, needs to rent gear and their clients don't pay up front or you haven't learned how to negotiate to get your gear up front yet and so you keep having to reach into your savings or your rent money and then you're sweating it at the back end of the month because the client hasn't paid for it yet and you're like, but fuck, I just spent all of my rent money on gear, right? Get yourself a credit card. Get your company a credit card because then you can put it on the card and if you do a card with a great deal to get you good points, then you're smart, right? Because it's not your money building those points. It's the client's money building those points, right? If you're going to do so, check out the Capital One deals on our website. Two different cards. There is the Venture Card and the Venture One Card. The difference is simple. Venture Card costs you $95 annually, but it comes with a bigger bonus when you first sign up. You earn unlimited two times mile per dollar on every purchase every day, and you earn... 50,000 bonus miles when you spend $3,000 on purchases within the first three months from the account opening, right? Good deal. I got that one. That paid for my trip out here to look for housing. Uh, or you can get the Venture One card, which has no annual fee. You earn unlimited 1.25 miles per dollar that on every purchase every day uh, and a sign-up bonus of 20,000 miles once you spend $1,000 on purchases within the first three months of opening the account. Right, so how does that work out? It took me forever to figure this out. It's very simple: fifty thousand, five hundred bucks, twenty thousand is uh, two hundred bucks, right? And that's uh, money that you can spend on any travel expenses, so Uber rides, plane tickets, hotel expenses, all that kind of shit. It's actually really great. Both cards have enabled us to do some really good things, and you can be really smart about this. Be savvy about this when you're starting up your own business or you're starting as a freelancer. Build credit. You need credit. Eventually, you can get yourself line of credit, which helps you pay for different things like you have uh, employees and all that kind of stuff, freelancers. It really helps. So think smart. Think long-term when you're a freelancer. Don't just think month to month. Um, and uh, setting up, signing up for one of these Capital One deals also helps the show. We get a good amount of money for that. It's a, it's a sweet amount of money for that. Uh, and there it is again. I don't know what the fuck is happening in Glendale. I feel like the O.J. Simpson fucking chase is happening. Again, doesn't it feel that way? There's fucking four helicopters just hovering outside. 
Are they looking for you? Is that what the deal is? Yeah. You get in your fucking white Bronco and hit the hit the pavement, man. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, yeah. So those are the best ways to support the show. And like I said, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Uh, there, I am sorting all the episodes by subject material. So you can, if you want to listen to directors, click on the directors tab. I think I just created a cinematographer's tab. So now it's all in cinematography. Um, it's very easy to sort through the 60 plus episodes that are, that are out right now. Um, and continue to subscribe to us if you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. We're going to get ourselves on the Google Podcasts at some point. Um, and we got a bunch of really cool things coming out. So that's it. It's a long fucking read, but deal with it. Okay. Now we're going to get back into some hot shit, some hot tips. We're going to learn about the lies that the LED RGB community have been telling us, right? Clickbait, all the lies in the mind to us. Clickbait, clickbait, clickbait. What, so you uh, started to shoot, so after you went to AFI, you started to shoot professionally, and then you were doing yeah. commercials, you're doing music videos, you're doing yeah. short films, and then you started to do feature stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like every every era, you've got your own way in, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say, you know, up until probably the early to mid-90s, the way in for everybody is Roger Corman, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I just... You know, my mentors worked, you know, just got their start through him and his production company. Everybody, and, like Scorsese yeah. and all those guys. Uh, yeah, all these guys, you know, they started off because he was just cheap. You just grind all this just <laughs> low-level, you know, stuff, but you're, you're doing narrative film working, you know? Yeah. And um, and, you, and you, because you do it by, you learn it by doing it, right? So, yeah, sure. Um, which is the AFI model, which is why I wanted to go there. But then after I got out, you re- I realized very quickly I learn very quickly how to be a DP at AFI. And they do a very good job teaching it. But they don't teach... There's just no way you can teach being a DP is being a DP for the rest of your life. (laughs) You're doing this... uh, Whether you like it or not, you have to be doing it for the rest of your life. You have to have the mentality. Mm -hmm. This is not a shortcut thing. And you may not even be a DP when you first get out for decades even. You know, there's a lot of people that would come out of the AFI program or any other film program thinking they're the hot shot that go in and they end up being a gaffer right? for decades or, or, or key grip or so on. And that's okay. I think it's so in one of the best uh, pieces of advice I got from one of my alumni mentors was um, respect your path. You know, he graduated in 2005. He ended up being gaffing and he was frustrated because he was just quote unquote, just gaffing, mm-hmm. which I think is, Gaffing is a good thing. You learn a lot from that. But then he ended up getting a job with uh, this documentary for Katrina, and it turned out to be a Spike Lee documentary. Mm-hmm. And from that, he met my boutique and so on. And and now he eventually got moved up, and now he's shooting TV shows. He shot Empire and, and Snowfall and a lot of stuff. So, But th- he told me this before he got all this stuff. <laughs> when I met him as my alumni mentor, he was still really struggling to get any DP jobs of any sort. He was still mostly a lot gaffing a lot. Yeah. So 
The, I mean, but that's yeah. the thing that they can't fucking teach you. No, like, there's no way you can teach that. You can no. you can learn that's what happens, but you just have to live it. They can prepare you for it, and they did in, in many ways. They prepared, but um, and because they give you just access to all these mentors, incredible people that come in and teach, and guests that come in, and just having the access. That's when I, that's where you learn. That's yeah. what I learned at least yeah, from yeah. those people. So for me, like the couple, first couple of years out. And, and some other people too, like 20 years ago, you know, a lot of people would just do softcore porn. <laughs> you know, a lot, of, a lot of big name DPs got their start that way. Current big name DPs. Because they can get on set and they can start. Yeah. And lights. you learn how to like women in a in, in, in way that makes them look good and deal with skin problems, all that kind of stuff. That, that was a craft thing that they did. Sure. So, um, but I see, all, this is a long winded thing, I'm sorry. but It's good. For, I think the current thing, for, at least for the past seven years, mm-hmm. since I've, Oh my God, it's been seven years, six to seven years since I've been out, um, is YouTube, YouTube channels, all, all that stuff. Thankfully, honestly for me, thankfully, because I didn't have to do software porn or something kind of <laughs> shady like that. I did YouTube channels. Right. You know, so Austinist TV was a huge one um, where they underbid everybody and you work from nothing and you're shooting stuff that makes you want to, you know, shoot your brains out. <laughs> but ultimately it was craft. You just you're you're and you meet people doing it and and you're ultimately you're still working, you know, and working with cameras and working with the problem of how do you either commute how do you if it's not a fictional thing mm-hmm. how do you communicate something, you know, right. with the machine of production. Um, now you know with all this YouTube stuff. It was how do you communi- communicate something with a digital SLR with no money, yeah, with very little, yeah. But ultimately, like that's also how you learn too. Yeah, know? yeah. And I did that week in, week out, and and I DIT the feature that eventually came out of that. And after I DIT the feature for my buddy, um, I started then shooting small little videos there, and then and then the and then DreamWorks bought them. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing all the DreamWorks branded stuff. Oh, cool. So that was cool for me because then I was like, okay, I'm on the DreamWorks campus, mm-hmm. and I basically have a bounce, five D, <laughs> and talent. <laughs> and how am I going to shoot these segments, like five segments in one day? My God. And, and their talent, they're kids. So it's an eight-hour day, which is great in terms of the hours. But Sure, but getting shit done. Yeah, man. how do you get this done? Yeah. So it's literally, <laughs> you set, you, I, I, I would scout the grounds of the, of the campus. And, oh, okay, so this, this will actually look really good on camera. So I'll do this, and here's a shot. And then I'd... Look at the lighting scenario. I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done? Why did I do this? So, but then you, you, you kind of just work through the problems and you learn how to break down very quickly. Here's my shot. Let's do this. Okay, so, oh, this is a problem for sound. So we have to do it over. You know, you start thinking as a DP should be thinking. Sure. How can you, and it, it, it goes back to that original biomedical engineering training. It's, you know what you want. Uh-huh. You know how to, to look at the problem of reality. Yep. And you have the tools in front of you. How do you get get there with all this and do it within five minutes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course, of course. And so that you know, I did that, and then I shot a feature documentary. And same thing. You, you, I, I, within the course of a year, I shot about 70, 80 interviews all over the world. I mean, country. Um, eventually, we ended up being all over the world, but initially it was all over the country. And it was like uh, the only pre-pro I could do really was. Look, up, look it up on Google Maps. Yep. You see the building, you see where the light's coming in, and, you, and I have a sun plot for the day I'm going to be there. And that's the best I can do. Yep. Better than nothing. It, it helps. 
but ultimately you, you still show up and okay i know the sun's going to be in this position and i know this time of day we're going to be there uh where should we be in the building they shoot this interview mm-hmm. and then it's still just as hard <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but it's that again but that all that just comes into play i mean deacon's got to start doing his doc and a lot of people do because I, I did, I did yeah. docs for fucking 12 years yeah so like it's and and walking into like an office building and yeah. being like, how do I make this fucking cool? Yeah, and like how is this interesting? And, and it's got like you know overheads, oh. Oh. And and it's all like, the same thing. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And how do I light this the right way? And how do I bring a package that's small enough that I could fit onto a fucking cart that I could yeah. roll in? And yeah, or even if you had a cart, I mean, yeah, you know, or put it on a plane. What can you put on a plane? What can you do? Yeah, and most of the time, I mean, I think what I learned from that is really how do I take away a light yep. to give me what I want. Okay. Versus uh, the other way around. Yeah. You know, and then I'm just, I mean, thankfully, technology had it improved up to the point where digital cameras were able to do 800, you know, ASA and above. Yeah, yeah. And then so I'm shooting at 1.4 sometimes. Sure. But ultimately, I mean, nowadays, there's no excuse. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, you got autofocus <laughs> that works. You touch a screen and it stays there. It's amazing, you know? Yeah. Even no. then, I was just still like, you know, I still was pulling on focus and got peaking and all the stuff. All that there, stuff. You know? All so. the science shit starts to get yeah. in the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, that I love it. It's just, the, that's how it all kind of came together for me. And, and since then, it, that, but that's the grind. It's not fun. Well, it's fun. Sorry. Let me, it's not fun in the sense that it's not, you don't have big budgets. You don't have big crews. It's just you and the camera. But that's where the fun is, I feel like. You just, sure. You know, you just find... You got direct. I had a, you know have a director and have a couple people and we're in a team and we we want to communicate something or capture something. Yeah. How can we do it? Sure. You know, I love that's that's filmmaking in its essence. Yeah. Yeah. So I always know. go back to cooking with it because I feel yeah. like it's the same kind of yeah. thing. And I love like, to cook too, so it's kind of yeah. yeah. Oh, good. See, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Like it's for me, it's it's that time that you're experimenting on your own. You're yeah. not serving it to anybody else, and you're yeah. like, well, what does mm-hmm. this taste like? And how does this feel? Exactly. Yeah. That's when it's really exciting. Yeah. And then. With docs, that was fun because I felt, when I did docs, I felt like there wasn't the pressure of a narrative. Because mm-hmm. you're usually just trying to impress like one producer, yep. one director, mm-hmm. your talent, or people that have never been on camera anyways. Yeah. So they're usually kind of drama free. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so then you're just learning about how people look on camera. You're learning about how people move and, and how you should be and how you should be. Yeah. How much do you want to affect the subjects with mm-hmm. what's going on? Yeah. What are they doing? A fucking criminal chase out there right now? <laughs> there's helicopters, there's police cars. There's something like, maybe it's, it's got to be a fire or something. It's got to be something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. We're going to go right through yeah. it. But yeah, I mean, like uh, for me too, it was, it, what was I going to say? Um, there was, um, how was this? Oh, I just missed it. that helicopter thing. Just threw me off. <laughs> I, I had something important to say, and I totally forgot. Well, we were talking about docs and how, like, yeah, like being in that in that experience. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because um, the thing with AFI, it's strictly narrative, fictional narrative training. Yeah, you know, it's it's quote unquote cinema in its highest form that they're trying to teach you, right? So, but I, I came from a stills background, and I was trying to figure out how do I take what I love about stills. And do you know bring that to filmmaking? And that's where Doc, you know, when I started doing Docs after I graduated, sure. that's when the two came together. Yeah, yeah. That's when I realized, oh, so you can have visual design, you can have a preconception and your viewpoint, 
um, but still be you know free willing about it. Yeah, and I you know I so because you know when I would sh- I, I didn't realize it when I was doing photography and doing weddings and I approached it like I was a documentary filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. you know I would always look at the place and look at the scenario going on and I thinking okay like this is the situation so what people are thinking this is what they're going to say I can predict usually where they're going to end up. Yep. By their body language and then. So I'm thinking, okay, compositionally, how do I compose the shot? And, oh, there's a light there. Okay, so it would be interesting if it was a backlighting the whole entire thing. So I'm going to go to the side of the room where it's backlighting. And, oh, wait, they just moved. You know, so it's just sure, that sure. constant ebb and flow of reality that, sure. that I got used to already as a stills photographer. Sure. And that's what you do when you're doing, doing doc. I always felt yeah. like a hunter when I was doc. Yeah. Because you're thing. sitting there, yeah, you're like, exactly. I have no fucking control over what's happening in front here, but yep. I only have control over the perspective that this yes, will capture. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I would oftentimes be like, whoa, 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 and just running yeah. to try to mm-hmm. get something yep. interesting and capture. Yeah. And that's my friends, like my 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 other stills photographer friends from my New York days. Uh, they called my style sniping because <laughs> I that's the way I approached it. I was like a sniper. I kind of just. Stood from distance initially, cased the joint, yep. saw the essential shots, took them, and left. Yeah. Whereas a lot of my friends, they just went in there and just just sprayed the camera. That's a big. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. Is that that yeah. spray thing? There's a whole generation of that right now, where it's yeah. just like, why don't I just shoot fucking seven thousand photographs? Yeah. And then you're like, maybe because. Yeah. Uh, the sorting process is going to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah. You know, and then... But it's easy because it's all files. It's cheap. Right. You can just yeah. go through... But yeah. but then there's a there's a side yeah. effect of that where you sort of get this... Um, you get worn out by it when you're going through yep. that many fucking images and you forget the magic that's there. Yeah. Like Gina, my girlfriend, she's a photographer. She's a fashion photographer. She's younger than me. So she started by doing nightlife stuff and she would do like a lot of spring yep. and prey kind of shit. And even now, when she sorts through her photo sets, it's torture. I watch her do it, and I go, you're fucking making your life so miserable right yeah. now. Because she's like yeah. going through thousands uh, yeah. of And I hated doing that, too. Because it's like... I can't do... I Dude, I'll look at a set, and I'll just go, this one, this one, this one. And, yeah. and she's like, well, maybe there's another amazing one in there. I go, I don't care. Yeah. I literally respond to these ones first. These are the ones yeah. that I'm going to use. Yeah, because it's ultimately, there's a viewpoint, right? Exactly. You, or exactly. There's, there's a story there somehow, and, and so... And that's what again I got from the stills, my stills days of how I learned to, I taught myself to approach things, and I think that came from studying Bill Bill Eggleston, studying, um, yep, um, again, uh, I can never pronounce his name right, Bresson, you know, all these. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to help you on that. All, all, all these stills photographers that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, Ernst Haas was the other one. Ernst Haas was another one of my favorite. A lot of people don't know him. I don't know him. It's H A A S, and it was e- Ernst. So it's not Ernest. It was Ernst Haas. He was a Magnolia guy, and he... What did he, he shoot? He pioneered color photography and slide film photography. Oh, no shit. So he did, like, these... There was a book called Creation, and okay. it's a lot of these nature photographs and stuff were really interesting, but then he also photographed celebrities. Huh, And no he photographed a lot of stuff in New York and all this abstract art, like, photographs that he did. Like, in between those three, it, th- those are the ones that spoke to me, and that was their approach. You know, they, they studied the world yep. and they saw it in their own way and they didn't do spray and pray. They, but even, you know, when, you know I, and I've seen, I've been to uh, MoMA 
had our Cardi Bird's own um, rep- re- retrospective, and they showed contact sheets oh, and cool. negatives and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, like he would have a, a series of the same shot because he's just trying to find the right moment. But it's the same shot, exactly. Right. Exactly. So you're not doing spray and pray. You're still like very focused about. You see something that looks interesting, and you stand and you wait and you wait, and boom. And then you take a lot of shots and hope one of them turns out. And yeah, there is one that turned out and that's the one. Sure. And that's how I, and even before I studied his stuff, that was my approach. Yeah. So even when I saw that again, it was like, oh yeah, I'm doing it right. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> if he did it, I, you know, this is what I did, you know, this, and it's the same thing with filmmaking. Sure. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to when you shot this thing and you're on set and you've got a script and, and, and that's where all the training comes, steps in. Sure. Doing doc work. It's like, but even if it's narrative, it's like, okay. You know, I think Fincher said this. You know, the sun's going down. You have ten minutes uh-huh. to do a whole scene. What do you do? You know, you can't do coverage. <laughs> yeah, how you can't do, you do a ma- you can't do a master here. You can't do over over and then closer over over and then you know all the typical key- TV stereotypical coverage that it works. It does actually work to tell sure. the story. Sure, because um, you can edit it and you have room room to edit to change it and whatnot. But sure. ultimately, like. When you don't have time, you come up with a clever fucking way to do it. Yeah. How do you how do you tell the story in the, in the scene, and how do you then take the camera and and and, and do it, and not just just do coverage? How do you actually tell the story with the camera? Yeah. And blocking and all that stuff. Well, that, that's fucking yeah. sp- look, dude Spielberg, yeah. man. Back in his yeah. old TV days. Yeah. And figuring out like how do I get the coverage, but how do I get it quickly? And I'll do it on a dolly, and I'll move to those coverage points on his dolly yeah, work. Exactly. Yeah. All his movement shit is like yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah, because of that. Yeah, and now in 1917 is getting a lot, a lot of hubbub and traction. And, I haven't seen it yet. I'm really excited yeah. to see it. I, I think the the craft nominations make a lot of sense when you see it. Okay, yeah, especially with Deacons, obviously. But sure. Yeah, but the thing is, like, everyone, you know, everyone gets blown away a lot by these well done winner things because uh-huh. we can really show off how you can tell a story in, in an unending shot. Sure, and they really, yeah. Well, I mean, those things are fascinating, I think, to a lot of people because with the technology right now, you can specifically go, I don't need a lot of light or I can do this stuff with this, but you still don't have that app (laughs) that creates like 300 people fully wardrobed, choreographed and running in the specific way. So, And that is something that a lot of us don't get our hands on because it costs so much fucking money and it takes so much time to do that sort of thing. So when you look at it, it's still kind of magical. Yeah, and you're just like, yeah, exactly. how the fuck did they get all those people and those explosions yeah. and all that stuff? And yeah, I, I mean, I think the movie itself is okay. Yeah, I don't think it's as it feels like a very sort of simple. It a is plus very B simple. Yeah. It, you know, it's just like you know when Stephen Pry and Ryan came out. Yeah, you know, it was again craft level up the wazoo mm-hmm. and gorgeous and very well done. But at the end of the day, it was just a you know the story itself was you know it was very bare. Sure. Really, sure. Came down to it. You know, you had all these themes and little interstitial stuff and whatever. But ultimately, like, I know, I even then I was seventeen when it came out. I was like, "That's it." So they got this guy and they got to get him out of here. Yeah, Yeah, it's just like that's it. You know, and whereas like Thin Thin Red Line. Oh my God, that movie. Thin Red Line. You know, that's said something as a film. You know, but so it's just same thing with nineteen seventeen. It's it's incredible. It's incredible in terms of the craft and oh my gosh, yeah. So like, there are some things in there just like. Well, I'm still thinking about yeah in terms of you. craft level, you know, just you. shots and sequences, and you'll you know, you'll see. Uh, I'm yeah. pumped. I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm pumped to see it. But, but that that being said, 
It's an okay movie. <laughs> well, we yeah. live in a time period right yeah. now where uh, we have a lot of stuff that is yeah. devoid of craft. A lot of stuff that is yep. like mm-hmm. just sort of the coverage shit that we were t- yep. just talking about. Where it's like, look, all you got to do is get the fucking right camera, get a guy in there that knows how to light, and fucking bang, 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 yeah, bang, yeah. bang. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what you're getting a lot of. And I think it's a very cynical sort of uh, attitude. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's in there on me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like, but then you, when you look at the quality, especially in cinematography, so you look at the quality of these TV shows and of these Netflix series yep. and all mm-hmm. this stuff and how gorgeous a lot of this stuff looks, it's uncanny to me because yeah. uh, they're literally shooting in a course of like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, an hour's worth of fucking content. Yeah. That you're looking at going like, fuck, man, that's you're 30 minutes shy of a feature. And yeah. you did that in like a few weeks. Yeah. Like, A, that schedule must be insane. It and is insane. Yeah. They're doing 16, 18 hour days. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Uh, the boys, the first season of the boys on Amazon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think half of it was shot with, uh, sorry, one of our owners, the one in Boston, the one that lives in Boston, he shot, I think, half of the season. Oh, really? So I was talking to him about it, and he was like, yeah, it's just, but the hours were just brutal. They they just they just used crew and abused crew, because it's 16-hour days. Middle. Yeah, yeah. And they pay, they pay you for it, but then you hit, like, day two of that, and yeah. you're just like, yeah. how much is this fucking worth? Yeah. And I'm surprised they're allowed to do that now, especially with all the deaths and shit that were happening. Yeah, I don't know. You know, with but the crews. It, it still keeps happening, you know, and that's the sad thing, unfortunately, it's, is that a lot of times producers lose touch? Uh, sorry, line producers or the money men lose context. They lose context and they just see it as numbers and they're just trying to get the numbers to be optimized, so to speak. Sure. And they'll just say, "Oh, it's just grips. Oh, it's just <laughs> it's just juicers. Oh, it's just you know the kind of you, you, you they lose sight of the fact that it's people. They're humans. Yeah. Yeah." Which is really sad. Which is interesting because then it's on us to do that. It's on you to do that as a department head. It's on me to do that as a department head. And we're sort of like processing the fact that like my paintbrushes have personalities. My my artistic outputs need to sleep. They need time to rest. Otherwise you just, it'll show on the screen. All right. So let's take a heartbeat break here. Let's see if that fucking hovering helicopter moves a little bit. Yeah. And if you want, you want another beer? Um, Sure. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. I wasn't even thinking about it, but yeah. All this, right. This is a good tactic. I'm, I'm totally just like... It's good. It's good. Oh. This is what we do. We're just chilling, man. Mm-hmm. Um, Love it. Okay, we're back. Got a couple new beers. Uh, and turns out that uh, you guys are going to enjoy the helicopters with us for the full fucking episode. Because what did we see? How many were there out there right uh, now? There's like four or five overhead. Yeah, and I think they're like news choppers, right? They look like yeah. news choppers. Yeah. So something's happening. Right over this house. Literally. <laughs> Literally right over the house. Uh, so fuck it. You guys get to be here with us, man. Um, so let's catch up a little bit. So and, and I just want to, because I've found all the stuff that we've talked about so fascinating, and I just want to sort of go into the Quasar stuff, and then we'll, sure, yeah. we'll go in and out of it. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like this... There's a ton of information online. You've been doing a ton of information about this stuff. But I think a lot of my listeners haven't listened to it. And <clears throat> a lot of my folks know how much I love light. I'm a huge light nerd. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to be a photographer. Sure, yeah. I think that light to me, good light in natural surroundings is almost like great food. Yeah. Like it really oh, affects it's, everything. It's, 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 yeah, it's 
It's like steak. You know? <laughs> yeah, dude. Totally. Or and it's like it's like hollandaise on a steak or something. You know, it's just like uh, it's like that parsley butter that they just yes. put on top, and you're just like, this is. That's this why I said hollandaise because I mean, like the French are just wonderful. How do you make mayonnaise with butter? <laughs> you know, other people make mayonnaise with man with like some neutral oil, but when you make mayonnaise with butter, it's just. It's just I, heaven. I, t- I talk about French food all the time. It's I feel heaven. like most of their yeah. shit is designed because it was at that period of time where meat was going shitty and like yep. they had all that crap and they're like, how do we douse this with creams and yeah. stuff so that you don't realize that what yeah. you're eating is rotting meat? <laughs> yeah. And when you get like a three quarter back, you know, light come in and, and you add a little, little goldenness to it and it's just like, oh yeah, that's the hollandaise right there. It's just, and you feel it at the same level, at least I do, yeah. where I sit there and I'm yeah. just like, Man, this is such a good fucking steak. Yeah. You know? And yeah. in, in life, too. Like, the thing that's so sexy yeah. about California, which being an Easter, East Coaster, by the way, mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. a shooter for the East Coast and working for the ad world where they go, can we make this look like a California sunset? And you're just like, <sighs> I don't understand how easy it is. And then you come out here and you see it and you're just like, yeah. They just turned the fucking cameras on. They went outside, man. Yeah. Like, it's insane, the quality of light difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because it's all the smog. <laughs> <laughs> you basically just add an opal on top of everything. So. I was hanging out, uh, like, yeah. a month ago with a couple of big photographers. We were walk- walking down the beach. And uh, where were we? We were down in, like, Malibu or something. And we were walking down the beach. And they look up and they're like, look at that sunset. It's all beautiful. It's all reds and stuff. I go, yeah, it's because of the fucking fires. <laughs> the fires yeah. are just... Or just like have, diffusing have you, that. Have you uh, hiked up to the top of uh, Griffith uh, Observatory, mm-hmm. uh, that the mountain behind it? No, yeah. I haven't done the mountain behind it. So you, you hike up to the when you hike up to the bottom top of that mountain, that's when you really see smog. Yeah, because it looks like an ND grad. Really, that's how distinct it is. It's like on some days, like because I used to live right next to it, so. Um, it looks, you could see the thick band of brown or gray hanging above the horizon, and all of a sudden it's blue. Wow. That's how striking it is. So I'm like, this is, we're going to go into it, but ultimately the atmosphere is a filter. Sure. And that's why the LA, <laughs> the LA light, is, it's got the smog and it's, it's being filtered in, in, with color and a certain quality of light to it, so. Right, and then we're in a different yeah. part of country that doesn't have that. We're trying to recreate that yeah. outside, and we're like, okay, yeah. let's try to figure out how to do this. Yeah. Um, so how did you get hooked up with uh, Quasar? Uh, well, I had sworn off LEDs because um, they just <laughs> look so bad, you know, when I started out. Yeah. And um, and then the Academy uh, Motion Picture, you know, the, the Oscars. Yeah. The people at the Oscars, they have a set sign... Science, Science and Technology Council, and that council organized a color science of LED sort of, um, they had done all this research, uh-huh. and they organized this uh, talk, and th- this research back in 2012, and I went to that, and I was like, oh, this <laughs> and they were like, yeah, it's bad. They basically said everything sucked. And, so for LEDs, they said everything sucked? Well, yeah, and they showed, they showed why and how. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a genesis behind all this because it was like, it was ingenious. They, what they did was they got the paints for the Macbeth chart and they made like one the size of a, of a widescreen TV uh-huh. and they made two of them. 
and they cut holes in front of the front one and then and they spaced it off like a, the two cards apart uh-huh. by like maybe five feet and then they lit the front one with one light oh got it okay. and the, the rear one with the other so within the chip chart live you can see the difference between the two lights even though they're both let's say 3200 kelvin supposedly um and that was that was striking to me like that right. how different like but the mirror says they're the same and the camera and you know the gray card they all look the same why what's going on here and that was kind of the beginning of all this. And then, then they ended up coming up with this new metric called the Spectral Similarity Index and all that stuff. But So the way I got into it, that was kind of my introduction to why LEDs were terrible. Uh-huh. And then a friend of mine, uh, he was a year below me AFI, he was getting really into LED ribbons and buying like your stuff and making his own lights out of them. Yep. Uh, his name is Keith Kyung and very talented cinematographer, very smart guy, very talented uh, artist. And graphic, he had a graphic design back, background as well. And he designed his own lights that were really cool and uh, I was never going to use them. And then I shot a camera test with them and a couple of years later and I was like, I'm going to use them now. Because I, I compared it with, 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 with a Fresnel, uh-huh. uh, you know, 650 watt or something. And I didn't see any difference. I hardly saw any difference. I was like, wow, things have gotten very good now. Right, they figured out how yeah. to do tungsten and how to do daylight yeah. as well. Yeah, so tungsten they figured it out. Daylight is still kind of it's, it's a little wonky. It's somewhat there. It, it's it's usable now. It, it's not as bad as it used to be. But, <laughs> um, but he kind of turned me on to all of it as a viable thing. And then I I started, and then he told me about Quasar. So this was about like 2006. So I used, I, I was shooting this for that, I was telling you I was shooting the all the YouTube stuff. Uh-huh. I shot this kids show and they wanted to put some budget into it um, where they introduced these cartoons from a spaceship. And and this this guy and this guy this little this like a, a preteen kid is in this spaceship with his pet robot, mm-hmm. um, and so I was like, oh yeah, this is where I can really try out LEDs. So I got all this light ribbon stuff, then got all these quasar tube tubes, and basically lit the set with all of it, and had it all on different board because I had no crew right allowed on my shoot except for camera operators. Why? Budget. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. They have a budget to do all the stuff. Yeah. To build it out. But yeah. then that's what they decided to put the money. Yeah. And they didn't yeah. want to give me any money for crew. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do this. Well, I'll put it all in DMX. And when you say board. when you say light ribbon stuff, you talking like shit that you buy through Amazon? You no, no, like here, like like here stuff. Because I, I didn't want it to flicker and look terrible. On it, yeah, I, because that's the first thing you learn when you get. Yeah, because because when I was like because uh, before I. The other reason why I'd sworn off LEDs before I met Keen and some and did all this stuff was, I'd done a lot of theatrical stuff and, and, and stage shows and shot comedy stuff, you know, comedy comedy shows at you know local stuff in in LA. Yeah, and I just got burned so many times with the LEDs that the were LEDs actually that, in the in the, in the places. Yeah, like I, one place I forget the name. Um, they had tungsten pars. Uh-huh. Good old good old par cans. Sure. No problems, no problems. They never have to scout. It's always the same thing. One week I come in, and I see the LEDs there, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and they said, yeah, we upgraded our light, our lights. I'm like, cool. Because yeah, look at this. You could do dim it. You could do colors. You can do all this. Great. Turn on the camera, and it looked like it was just like, like uh, blinds on people. 
it was just the flicker effects, right, the right. rolling shutter effects of all these fl- you know flickering LED lights was so bad it was unusable. I couldn't shoot. I, I lost a job. Yeah. I told them like I can't shoot this. Look at this. And there's no setting I can do in a camera to, to fix, fix this. this. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. just there's no way you can get this out. I mean they were pissed off, but I'm just glad I told them ahead of time. Sure. Versus being scared shooting it and then you know that would have been worse. You know, so I just kind of cut my losses there, but. That wasn't the only time I dealt with that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and there are other aspects. Color rendition was terrible and all this other stuff. So fast forward, I shoot this show and I was like, Lightyear has made a reputation of doing this right. They had the right balance. And, they were, and, and it turned out to be perfect. Sure. You know, we, we, we used the RG's, RGB ribbon in, in the set and we had it glowing and had the, all these cues so that like the, the set would change colors according to the emotions of what was going on and it was great yeah, and I was fun. like okay this is where I see my mind changing about this LED technology sure so this is about what, four years ago now almost yeah almost four years ago and uh, so I decided to buy my own lights for the first time and uh, I looked on the market and I was like Quasar stuff tests the best out yeah. of all the stuff I've you know tested color wise uh, Ford of money too it was also the best too because yeah. you could buy a tube and not break your bank yeah yeah so then I bought a six bank two footer modified Kino shell and then I wanted to test out the photometrics so I knew like just underneath the hood you know how to not worry about it later on sure so I got a light meter and then I started creating a light field and and I marked out on the ground and I did this at the Quasar headquarters and I mark out the ground in regular intervals I just do what I normally do. <laughs> I think what, I'm not a normal person. No, but you're also very... This is the science guy. This is the science side of it. So I'm not yeah. normal, right? So they're seeing me do this, and they're like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, what is going on here? What are you doing? I thought you are just going to, like, you know, tape out 10 feet from the center and just meter, and then you leave. And I'm, like, there the whole morning, and then, like, they clear out. Finally, they're like, hey, can you do a little bit more of this? So... They cleared out the entire warehouse because it was kind of empty. They had just moved in. Sure. They cleared it out for me, and I did a whole like 40, uh, 90 degree sweep. Wow. At from 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 at the light all the way to fifty feet uh, fifty feet away at regular intervals. But also, I studied, taught myself enough that the inverse square law works. How you, you use distances to do that. So. So you I started, it out that way. Get way sciencey from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, cause, but then I realized because I I, I, real, I created a shorthand. Sure. Infrared square law is the stops of a lens. Got it. Got it. One four two two eight four one not. Those multiples are stop distances. So if I'm like ten feet away, and I want to drop a stop, I go to fourteen feet. Got it. Two stops, two you know twenty feet. And so on. You just it's it's that simple if you know the stops on the lens, right? So, so I started I taped it out that way, and that way I can also like repeat it with other because they were like, oh well, if you're gonna do this your light, can you do this light too? And then can you do this light too? And then can you just do all of our lights? And then it just became the thing. And then eventually I just did all their lights, and then I realized, wait a second, I just came realized a new color, not the color, uh, light fall off theory. Um, looking at this, these numbers, because um, people say that inverse square law doesn't work for soft sources. I always heard that in my education. I was like, "But what if the soft source is a hundred feet away? Then it's a hard source. 
So of course, inverse square law works for that. So at what point does it work and not work? So I looked at all the data, and I found uh, when I was doing all this that the diameter of your light is the point where um, it starts working. So if you had a, it doesn't matter what shape it is. If if I had a um, 12 foot wide um, trapezoid, at the longest axis is 12 feet. If I'm 12 feet away from that trapezoid shaped thing, from that point on, you can start using inverse square law. Okay. So if I'm 12 feet away, and then I go to 24 feet away, I've dropped down two stops. Oh, wild. But, but when, when you're within that, it doesn't quite work that way. That's why everyone always says that. But when you're 24 feet away, it, it just, it just kind of came up on, no, no one ever talked about this because no one knew this. No one had ever done the rigorous sort of testing to figure this out. Sure. So long, long story short, I told this to them. They're like, um, we're coming out with this new product called the Rainbow. Uh, can you tell us how to program the color in this? Because you did this. And then so I spent a month doing that. And I came up with a new theory of how to program the color the way I wanted it to behave. Because I got so frustrated with the sky panel. Sure. Going on the color wheel. Like you're spinning and all of a sudden like one tick is like five jumps of color. Yeah. yeah. And then another part, it's like, you hardly seen the color change at all. I hated that inconsistency. Yeah, yeah. So I started looking at the numbers, and I was like, wait a second, there's a whole different way to see the color wheel called uh, CIE 1976. Mm-hmm. They came up with this different w- way to map the color. And if you use that map and you move around on that map, generally speaking, the, each distance in the map is an equal distance in color change. So I used that map to calibrate the color in the rainbow, and it worked. When they actually built it in, they actually did the thing. Like when you go on the camera and you go on a wheel, it, it's pretty consistent. So I was like, "Wow, this is cool!" And they said, and then they decide they asked if I just come full time. <laughs> so it just it just kind of just came, that's how it kind of kind of came came about. And, right, right, right. And you then just, I and then you were just like, "Can you do all this R and D work?" Sure. We can't afford you to do R and D work. We don't have enough money because we're still a startup. Can you do sales and do R and D work sometimes? Uh. <laughs> well, you know, my, my re- initial reaction was I was very excited to say yes because they were really cool guys. Yeah. You know, and that's when I was like, okay, because th- I just also kept running into them at all these trade shows. Sure. And, and they've all been in business for 20, 30 plus years. Yeah, yeah. It's Rick and Gaffer, Gaffer, Best Boy, um, cinematographer, et cetera. I mean, one, uh, one of the partners... Um, was the gaffer on Blue, Vel- Blue Velvet. Yeah, Jesus. And, and as well as uh, Dumb and Dumber. And, all, and, and they all came up with the idea of Quasar while they were on the sh- working together on the show True Blood. Huh. So they knew their stuff. And I was like, and I was always up at that point known for color science on post side. I did all this, you know, I, I created a log curve for this, this, this uh, uh, camera to do raw better for uh-huh. this one camera that you know not many people knew about. So I kind of was known for that kind of thing, but I was like, ah, well, I want to know for lighting. I want to be known for lighting because ultimately that's what I like more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those was kind of my inroads into just learning from the best of the best in, in the industry of people that have done all these big projects, big shows, big things that I liked. And so that was my hook into it. Also because I had a kid and I, I just got tired of, Doing the hustle, yeah, just being gone all the time. So yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of a win-win for everybody, and for me, it was just an opportunity just to be with these really cool people, um, doing really cool things. 
Um, and uh, then about a year and a half, uh, a year year after that, I uh, uh, they they said, hey, we we can now put you in R and D full time, and I, and I created a whole business not business plan, job description for myself of what I knew I was, what I knew I could do. Oh, I'm already doing an industry in the with the ASC. Uh-huh. Um, I'm already teaching at schools and doing lectures. This is what I can do for the company. Sweet. And, here, and now it's been about since that point, it's been a year and a half, and that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. So it just they they kept their word, you know, and that was cool for them too because it's like everything they said. Yeah, we want you to do all these things, and here I am. I'm, I'm shooting their commercials, I'm doing all this education, and I'm doing all this nerdy R and D stuff. Oh, and yeah. I'm do I started the lighting committee for the ASC, so it's all kind of just happened just within the past year and a half. Nice, dude. Yeah. So it's been crazy. It's been a crazy ride already. And, yeah. They're great dudes. I I met yeah. them. Uh, like four months, five months ago or something like that. And then recently, I met them. How'd Disney. you meet them? I just, because I'm looking for sponsors for the show and I had, uh, when I was back in Boston, I was working closely with um, uh, my gaffer who worked over at um, Red Sky. Ah, uh, got, got it. And yeah. so he's over at Red Sky and, yeah. he, and Ruben, who's been on the show before, Ruben uh, was a guy that was big into building his own light. So they did like Ghostbusters over there and he did like, yeah. LED units that were on drones and they would fly these drones around and yeah. ghosts, that kind of thing. So he's very hands-on with it and um, we would build a lot of stuff for the shoot that we were shooting and uh, then they ordered a bunch of Quasar shit. So they had an ass load. I think they did like a big movie and they just had a bunch of Quasar tubes. Sure. And they were just all over the place. I was like, who the fuck is Quasar? And so that's yeah. how I sort of got involved with their products yeah. and their tubes were so great. And then... Uh, when I was doing the show, I was like, I, why don't I go to Quasar for sponsorship? And so I just reached out. Yeah. That's how I got connected with them. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the, and the, the event that we went to the other night, which is like everything that, all the problems that are with RGB LEDs right now, which yeah. is a huge thing. I didn't, you invited me to go because we were been talking about having sure, you on the show yeah. for a few weeks. You're like, come to this event. So I, I didn't even do the fucking research. And not being from Los Angeles and being from the East Coast, whenever there's an event like that, I'm like, oh, there'll probably be like 20 people there. It won't be a big deal. <laughs> and so I had yeah. a meeting before and I show up and there's a fucking line. There's a line around the corner. I'm out in the line for 45 minutes before we get into the place. <laughs> like, it was a big deal. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we talking about? I had no idea what the event was about. And so uh, you guys started your presentation about these uh, RGB lights. Now, when I walked in there, I've been to enough of these sort of industry things. I walked in there and I knew, I know who Quasar is. I know that you guys are LED shit. And the big sales pitch for LED lights are, you never need fucking gels again. Like, that's the big thing for the rainbow units, at least for us, was like, get these, any color that in the spectrum, you can dial them in. They're all in the lights. So I walk in the room and there's fucking Lee filters. There's all these gel guys in the back of the room. And I'm like, what is going on here? (laughs) I had no idea. So then sit down for the presentation and you start talking about the science of light, which we'll get into briefly here. You start talking about the science of light um, and I'm fascinated by it. And then you guys start showing the results. Now, while I'm sitting there, I am going back in time to a job I did a year, two years prior. Mm-hmm. So I was hired by Bose to do their in-studio sessions. So they would basically, they had like a double secret recording studio and they'd bring in young musicians. Yeah. 
and they wanted us to do three music videos in the course of one day. And so this is a place that's got a low fucking ceiling, very small, no yeah. rigging, no top uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. And so me and the gaffer had to build uh, key lights overhead for 360 filming. So we built lights using uh, foam core and getting ribbons so that I could literally paper tape them to the ceiling. Right. And they worked out really great. And I was like, okay, these are really great. They're working really good. And I had uh, haze and volumetrics in the room. And I'm like, it'd be really nice. I had some backlights initially that were just little tungsten units. Yeah. So like 150s or whatever. Sure. And I'm like, I have to deal with a power issue in this space. So then I'm dealing with the amount of power that we can draw off the walls. And I was like, it'd be fucking rad if I could do light cues and I can do color cues so let's try to swap out all those backlights with color sources. So I ended up getting like, I think they're source pars. I forget the company. I ended up getting almost stage lights for, sure. for yeah. the background stuff. Uh-huh. And I would design very colorful stuff. So it was like, you know, one song would be like a red and green or blue and green. And one yeah. song would be like a warm sort of haze kind of thing. And I remember I'm... I'm, I'm and we'd have no fucking time. It's kind of like the dock world where you go in, yep, you set exactly. it up, you got a couple hours and you got to get going. And so you're troubleshooting as you go. And at the same point in time, we were upgrading our cameras. So we were upgrading to the Canon rigs that were hacked to shoot 4K. So I'm dealing with this new thing with the, with the Canon cameras and I'm dealing with these LED lights. So I start to program the first look. Blues, reds, looks fucking phenomenal, right? And I have like sort of white keys coming off of the sources on the ceiling. So I get to the second look, which I've designed in Photoshop. A second look, which is a warm space, white key, but all gold, amber sort of edge lights. Uh Uh-oh. And I'm looking at the fucking cameras. And I'm going, why the fuck is it not gold? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're troubleshooting it because the new variable besides those lights is the cameras. And so we're, co- we're contacting the camera yep. companies and we're like, what is happening? And the camera companies are like, well, you know, the color spectrum changes a little bit because this camera's hacking for 4K and maybe it's in the color spectrum of the camera for the 4K and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then we turn on a tungsten unit and the tungsten unit's still that color. And I'm like, well, why is the tungsten unit that color? It's got to have something to do with these. Literally, I almost lost my job over this because yep. I had pitched this to the client. The client was like at yep. the monitor going why is it not gold why are we not getting all these hues and i'm like i'm desperately talking to all these people and then after that job i bullshit my way through it somehow got hired again and i'm like i'm gonna figure this out and i went and i did tests and we were testing the cameras with it and we're like yeah we think it's the fucking camera so i'm sitting in that audience when you guys are releasing that information going mother fucker like I, was, I was just so I was so all that pure rage was just flowing out of me going like but you said that these things would do this thing and then when you guys were talking about like look they're not actually doing what what they said a i was like vindicated to a certain extent b i was like the balls on quasar mm-hmm. for being able to stand up there and go well this is actually what's happening with this stuff and I, was, I had a lot of respect for you guys Thanks. for doing that piece. Yeah. Um, and now the people at home are like, Mike, I have no idea what the fuck it is that you're talking about. What is the video you guys did? What's the title of the video for the piece that they did? The Untold 
truth of RGB or something like that. Color yeah. Scientist reveals the truth about RGB lights. Or something something like that, yeah. It's it's by Indie Mogul. It's on YouTube. So go look it up because yeah, if you weren't there for the event, we released it in October, and, and and the event is the live stream is still up on the Aperture Facebook page. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you you're pretty much the textbook reason why I've been doing this. Um, I mean, I've been telling customers this since I joined the company. Um, don't throw away your party gels. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, and that's why none of Quasar's marketing has ever said that this will replace gels for this reason. Sure. And on top of that, that's why Quasar has never put uh, gels in, you know, gel program gels in their lights. Um, right, because there's been other companies that have said every that. other company has done it. Yeah, yeah we yeah. haven't because it's a. Lot, I mean, as a customer, I was always mad about this because I already already knew this for years, and I keep seeing all these companies putting all this stuff in their products that I knew was a lie. It's yeah. a lie. It's either a lie or you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and or you do, or both. <laughs> there, there are companies out there that have done that, and I was so mad as a customer. I was like, you know, this is not working, and yet you're saying it's this. Why? Sure. And I understand what now. I understand now being on being on the other side why they do it because customers ask them for ease of transition. They do it because it's comfortable for them. Sure. They think in terms of gels because they've been brought up with using them, so they want to be able to program that gel into it. So I, I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. But ultimately, like, it's still a lie, or you just, I don't know, or or it's, I don't know what else you, how else you could put it. You know, it's just... It just feels that way. That's why when yeah. I was sitting there in the audience going, like, motherfucker, like, you yeah. just, you can't help and this is a larger this is a larger tangent on our industry. And I feel like when you and I go back to our roots when we're in school and we're using that old school fucking 16 millimeter camera yeah. and we're using uh, that technology that has been used for 100 plus years to make cinema, yeah. right? Then you sort of fast forward to like post 2000 mm-hmm. where suddenly this industry became more about the gear it became more about yeah. the tech yeah. than the fucking art. And then to the point where as a shooter and even as a director, you're showing up and the producers themselves are going through the fucking trade magazines and they're the ones going to NAB and they're coming to you telling you what fucking camera to use yeah. and how this is going to change the world. That has just been the rhythm to fast forward to now where kids are just like watching YouTube videos and unboxing videos and they're like, I'm yeah. not a real pro unless I'm using this fucking thing or using that yeah. fucking thing. And I think that there's been this shift. And I say this on the show, and I always say this, even with all my sponsors, these are tools. A light is a fucking tool. Yep. A camera's a fucking tool. That's how we feel too. Yeah. And in our industry, yeah, it's like, can you imagine if you were a construction worker and you're like, I just want a fucking shovel. And they're like, well, yeah, but you got to buy the fucking shed and you got to buy all this other shit. And you're just like, I want the fucking shovel. Yeah. And I feel like only in our industry has the the manufacturers sort of controlled uh, the narrative around becoming a filmmaker. Yeah. And I think all that was sort of running through my head when I was hearing this stuff that was going on with the RGB lights because I felt like... Of course they're going to tell us that it can do all these things because that's the only way they're going to get us to jump into that ship. Yeah. 
You know, because prior to that, like you were saying, I saw those fucking lights coming off of Amazon. And I did a music video once with some string lights. And as soon as I saw that fucking uh, scan line shit going, I'm like, get these the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. bring in the gels. I mean, you bring you in get the party that for gels. what you pay. You know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but even then, you also don't get that for what you pay. <laughs> when you're using a sky panel that costs six, you know, four, four or $5,000, yeah. and you still can't dial it in to the color that it says that it's doing because they're not lying. They calibrated it to the meter, sure. but they never say that they calibrated it to necessarily the objects and the camera, you know? So, but they say it works on the camera too, but I'm like, ah, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, whatever you say. Well, uh, but then you have yeah. this game of like all these different manufacturers yeah. on the market and then that everybody yeah. has their own way of doing it, their own chips. Yeah, own exactly. And, and, and that's when I was just like, oh my gosh, this is chaos. Yeah. You know, it's just frustrating as a cinematographer. I just like, what? Like, I don't care how the sausage is made, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. I just want to eat it, and it's got to be taste good. And, it just, and I, I shouldn't get food poisoning after the fact, you know? <laughs> and ultimately, that's, but ultimately, like, you, we're in a point in time. That's why I've been doing all this education stuff, is you have to right now. Because if you don't, uh, everyone's just going to get complacent manufacturing wise yeah. and not improve. Yeah. It's good enough now. So if we're stuck with this, it just shoot me now because it's just like, it's, it's just not, it's limiting creativity. Yeah. Severely. It's really actually limiting creativity versus the other way around. Right now we've seen an explosion of creativity from this color changing stuff. Sure. And a lot of great, interesting concepts that come, and visual ideas that come out of it, but they all look the same now. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of played out because ultimately you've lost the ability to actually have any nuance. Exactly. <laughs> so if exactly. you don't have nuance and using the same three crayons that you cannot actually combine real colors with, then you're kind of just stuck as yeah. a filmmaker, but this is all we have. Yeah. And if we don't say, we want it to be better or else we're not going to buy your lights then no one's going to improve. Right. So that's kind of what I've been trying to kind of bid on a stump speech. I go to all the film schools and do this color presentation and eventually that's why I started the, the lighting committee at the ASC because I was, I've been involved with ASC doing uh, workflow stuff and technical council stuff and they have they've been pushing this color management system called um, ACES uh -huh. and I'm not even going to the weeds of that. But basically, I, what I realized is that it doesn't matter how you're managing your color if it's wrong in the first place. It's, if it's wrong in the first place, you can't fix it. Right. And the only the way it's wrong in the first place is if the light's wrong in the first place. And, uh, and that's why I discovered on set. I mean, that's why I showed it in the, in, in the talk. Is, and what you experience is sure. like if, if you've got a key light, it's balanced, and you try to do yellow with RGB LEDs you won't see it. Yeah. It just looks like you've just added the same color or maybe a red, slightly kind of more magenta version as a backlight. Yeah. There's just no way that you can fix that in post. Yeah. On a reasonable budget. And oh, time. tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. There's just no way. I mean, it's just, I, I, and I've, I know post very well. So I was like, I felt like I was in a unique, unique position in this workflow committee. And so we created this sub, you know, we invite all the lighting manufacturers, and my idea was, okay, I'm going to bring the lighting manufacturers. I'll bring all the color scientists and nerds from all the post houses. Uh -huh. I'll bring camera manufacturers and DPs 
put them all in the same room, see what happens. We did that. And normally these meetings only have like five people in it. But this meeting had 40 people in it. Wow. And it wasn't just because of me. And no one knew who I was. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nobody in the business at the time. I'm still sort of not really anybody. But it doesn't matter. I mean, what matters is that this everyone, is an issue. Yeah. everyone knows this is an issue. Yeah, yeah. And they see who else is going to be there. And like, oh, okay. So in the AFC is doing this. Yeah. So they all show up and they're like, oh, crap. You know, and then so I had the first meeting, I had my, my friend, she's shooting the L word right now for Showtime. She presented on, on another show that she shot this exact problem. She had Starar Yellow dialed in to her light, to her sky panels and other, I think, I forget all the companies she had on set. But it doesn't matter. Like, this is not, again, we're not trying to take down other companies. It's just like, this is the reality. Sure. And they're trying to get yellow. And she got her job seeing that she can do like umpteen amount of steps per day. Because everything's on the LEDs and you could just change it off a DMX board, right? Or yeah. off, a, you know, you get a, program, a good programmer, sure. they control it all, and you can boom, 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 knock out your steps. Sure, and then you spend fucking how long pitching that to the production team and the producing yeah. team? Yeah. And you're like, this is going to save all this time. Yeah, this and then and she's standing on set trying to dial it in and just never getting to that color. And that's, that. I yeah. know that fucking panic. Yeah, when and she's panicking, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. she goes to Red, because they shot on Red Monster, I think it was the Red Monster Sensor, is this supposed to be your best sensor? What's going on? And then they, yep. and Red says, it's your LUT. It's the show LUT that your post-production house did. So go to your post-production house. She goes to the post-production house. They take off the LUT and do whatever they can. It's not the LUT. So she goes by the camera company. And the camera company's like, I don't know. Yeah, right? exactly. And they shouldn't. It's not their fault. You know, I mean, ultimately, like, it's the LUT's fault. Sure. So that's when I... And then after all this... She runs into me at, at a party, <laughs> tells me that her, her woes. I'm like, oh, you should just gel the light. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, and she was mad. She was so mad. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. but if you want that yellow, use <laughs> yeah. that, set your light to white yeah. and gel it to yellow. This is what I've been telling all my customers. Yeah. And she's like, but that's wrong. I'm like, I don't care if that's wrong, like on a moral level. But, it's going to give you your results that you want. But why yeah. is it fucking wrong? This drives me crazy because yeah. this comes back to... Exactly. Dude, yeah. Uh, false advertising. False advertising, bullshit. And yeah. then how quick we are Yeah. to be like, this is the shit. I went to NAB. Yeah. This is what I got fed yeah. at fucking and, NAB. Yeah. And then and now, like, the last NAB, this is what we were joking about during the event. It's like everybody and their mother is doing an RGBWW or RGW or whatever. All these... It was like... Like five years ago, everybody and their mother was doing gimbals. Sure. Four years ago, everybody was doing drones. Sure. And last year, it was LED lights. Sure. That were RGBW because everyone just knows it's this plentiful thing that you can easily find off the shelf and it's popular. It's going to make a lot of money. Dude. Well, Lottie, you know, Lottie freaking dog because it's not going to. But that, 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 yeah. that comes back to that statement, man. Exactly. Where this industry, at the end of the day, they're fucking tools and these tools are supposed exactly. to work for you. Exactly. They're supposed, to, they're supposed yeah. to work for you, and these companies are supposed to be there to support you, and that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing that I really liked about Quasar was that these, they are also their own customers. Right. That's how they start. Right. Because the they, they work in all these. They're they, gaffers. They, 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 they were very things. frustrated because all these incandescent lights were being discontinued. These bulbs, and they started a company doing all these LED. They saw all these LED versions of bulbs that were replacing them were terrible. Yeah. They wanted to fix that, so they started off as an LED practical company. They made LED practicals, and then, and then the tubes are the ones that hit. Yeah. But ultimately, it's not a tube company; it's a lighting company. 
and they're there to make things better all around. And when I came to them and told them about, even when I was doing the rainbow, doing the stuff, I was like, you guys realize, because they're asking me, all right, so what gels can we put in here? I'm like, don't put gels in here. You're just lying to everybody. <laughs> and they were also just mystified at the time. They're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, the spectrum is supposed to look like this. And things are supposed to look like this. It doesn't look like that. So you're never going to get the same result. And people are mad at you. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was that easy because <laughs> they, they're the customer they understood right away sure, if it was a sure. different company like they wouldn't have understood you know they, they wouldn't have gotten it but they understood right away because right they're, 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 they were lightly slow like they were their own customers because they they are the crew they've been the crew and ultimately it's the crew that suffers well and it's that different yeah. mentality it's that me- like because yeah. i've had enough sponsors and i've been sponsored for years yeah. and i've walked around with people and they're like i got a warehouse full of these fucking things so sell them for me yeah and that's kind of the deal and a lot of that stuff, whenever you go to NAB, I'm so cynical at this point. Whenever you go to NAB, you're sort of walking around, and you're like, this guy's got a warehouse full of this shit. And yeah. someone told him that this was the next hot fucking fad, and he's here to sell all this crap, and he's going to get me yeah. to sponsor or someone else to sponsor some kid on fucking YouTube to open up a box and be like, this is the best thing that's ever happened yeah. to me. And you're just yeah. like, that has become the culture right now. That is the culture yeah. of filmmaking to an extent where people feel like purchasing is the first is the first part of filmmaking now where it's uh, like, yeah. I got to buy this piece of gear. Yeah. I got to have this fucking thing. Yeah. And look, I know I got fucking sponsors on the show, but at the end of the day, they're fucking tools. Man. Right. I mean, honestly, it, cell phones have gotten good enough that you, you, yeah. you, you can, you can, you can shoot start anything. off, you can start off shooting with your cell phone, you know? And, 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 and that's what, you know, like, uh, you know, Steven strong is the CEO and he, uh, I always respected him a lot because when I first met him, you know, his his attitude was he he was making stuff not just for the union gaffer. He's he was making stuff for himself, which was this like no name kid mm-hmm. in in Florida or or some other part of the country where there's no business mm-hmm. that wants to do all this, but they just have no access. Right. So that was kind of the ethos that it, it is still at the company now. That's why the company is you know like I think things still around because. That's the attitude. Is like, okay, we're making for the the big guys, but we're also making for the little guys. So we'll True. have products that will stand up to scrutiny for anybody. Yeah. But we also have inexpensive versions of that, so that you can still, you don't have to worry about the gear. Yeah. You yeah. just have to worry about doing what you want to do. You know, and that and that's where again all the education stuff that they when I present all this to them, like I do, I do classes and stuff. They're like, yeah, you totally should do it because this is what we're about. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm just, I just find myself to be lucky in this kind of position, you know, in this business where you can, I can have a job where that allows me to be me. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard to find that, you know, it sounds so, like a fucking great job. Yeah. Um, so that, that's why, you know, last week happened, you know, you know, when I did that presentation, it was kind of the distillation of about two years worth of, of insanity. <laughs> But so. dude, it was it was you did such a really good job explaining how light works. You did such a really great great job. Um, it was good storytelling. Next, because being being <laughs> being somebody that yeah. com- comes into that space and not knowing what the fuck's going on. Sure, yeah. You guys pulled me down that path, yeah. and that's Ted. I, I I'm gonna give him, give him the credit. Uh, my my normal presentation is so nerdy, <laughs> and I. But at the same time, I've learned that you got to see it for yourself. Yeah. So I made sure that element was there. That's but, genius too, by the but, way. But he, his, his Ted, you know, I think Aperture has grown to where it is because Ted is trained as a director. 
Yeah. He knows how to tell a story. Yeah. And even with that video, when I first went to them and did the video, like, I, they had a hard time because they were trying to figure out how do you boil Tim's presentation down in a way that... It's people, entertaining. That's entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And so even yeah. in the prep for the presentation, they're like, just make it like a video. I'm like, but... I'm not the video. I am me. Yeah, yeah. And we had, you know, we we're we we're kind of going back and forth, but ultimately, like, I understood where they were coming from. Yeah, yeah. You need a narrative to be able to craft. Okay, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. And the way I thought about it was more on a logical sense sure. of this concept leads to this concept and this concept. But I think the the, the intelligence that Ted and Aperture brought to it was it's not concepts. It's this situation leads to this problem. And yeah. this problem is something you've probably seen and this is why it happens. Yeah. And then let's look at this new problem too that you probably... And, and so you see that there's a subtle t- difference but it's a significant difference. Sure, for sure. And because I think I'm that's being, what they brought to the table. Right, because yeah. immediately I'm able to bring my personal experience exactly. while you're doing it. Yeah. And so I'm connected. It's, it's yeah. fucking storytelling 101 yeah. where it's like... Let the audience figure it out for themselves. Exactly. And yeah. then it'll stick with them. Yeah. And, and, and the way I always teach really is I, I generally don't even have, have like PowerPoint or anything like that. A lot of times I just have the scene and you have the lights and you have the things. Uh-huh. Let's see what happens. Sure. That's usually how I do it because what I realize that's what matters ultimately. So if you've got this light and you put a gel on it and you expose for it correctly on your camera, yeah. let's do the same thing with an LED. Sure. Program to the same thing. Let's see what happens. Good luck, you know. I, and, I also uh, thought it was genius yeah. that you guys were doing it there live, and that you had that room full of so many people. Because that whenever I'm watching YouTube stuff, and I'm a skeptic, yeah, we're talking about this before, I watch it and I go, "Oh yeah, they're shifting that in color correct." So yeah, you never really know. But being in that space and having, because when I go back to Cinematography Salon, I sent that yeah. text to to Dave, and he watched that piece. He was like, "Fuck." And so then he posted it in the salon, and he started talking about it in the salon. Yeah, and he's like. You should hear all the shit I'm getting for posting this in the salon right now. Yeah, and like, well, there's only one one person really giving him that. So <laughs> the other ones, there, I was on. I, I looked at the thread. It was just with this one guy, but he's that one guy that pretty much epitomizes. And, and he's a good guy. He's a very talented person. Sure, and it's nothing about him at all. It's just more that that was Ted's hook. You know, I never talked about why were you jealous, guy? Panel that was Ted's hook, and it's. It's a smart hook because the hook is, it, it, it's an antithetical concept. <laughs> if a light is supposed to promise you this, why would you do the opposite thing sure. to it, right? Sure. And the funny thing that, and that's what the guy's response basically was. It's like he kind of rolled his eyes. He's like, oh, I already saw this, and I know I'm not going to do this. I'm like, you know, and, and it's fine. I, I, <laughs> that's the exact audience I'm trying to reach because yeah, ultimately, sure, sure. like, I don't care like how you feel, what your experience is. Mm-hmm. You're going to deal with this. At some point, you're going to be in you're, my situation. You're going to be in this situation. Yeah. Your, your job is going to be on the line. Yep. I want to make sure, whether you think I'm an idiot or not, that you have your back po- in your back pocket your insurance policy. Yeah. Yep. Just it's, have that roll of party gels. <laughs> just have it. I don't the, care. Just, just have it. It's that guy that's just yeah. like, I, I hate the taste of pride. And yeah. I'm not going to swallow yeah. it. I'm not, and, and, I'm not and, and the thing is like, And the person like is, is accomplished. And he's, I've seen him do talks and stuff. And it's definitely not a knock on him. Sure. It's just, and, and in fact, it's, that's the exact reaction I was hope, hoping to get. Yeah. Because that shows that, okay, Already, people have already latched on to 
a wrong idea. And the fact that somebody is saying to them something that's the opposite yep. means that I'm getting through. Even if they don't like it, even if they don't agree with it, even if they think I'm an, an idiot, they probably do, and they're probably right. I am an idiot. But regardless, <laughs> the fact of the matter is you're going to still end up dealing with a situation. And if you're not prepared as a filmmaker, you're going to be in trouble. And I'm just, that's why we're doing this. It's just like, but it's, yeah. But okay, yeah. so let's get, yeah. let's get even fucking more nerdy about this yeah. and distill it down to its source. If you hadn't decided that you were going to get into science, if you hadn't decided that you were yeah. going to be that person, if you didn't have that structure that was built, then, you know, maybe we wouldn't have had that seminar. Maybe that wouldn't have been the thing. Right. And then the structure of system that you went through makes you a valid tool in our current state of advertising. Sure. Because you're like, well, all right, cool. Let me tape out the floor. Let me go through the process. The fact that you were in their space doing that, and they're like, what is this guy doing? It's like, it's like, why are you guys not doing this anyways? Like, and I get it. I get that the fact that you're starting up a business and you're, you're coming at it from one angle and you're not thinking about all those angles. Yeah. And they were smart enough to say, come work for us and come do this yeah. at that point. But um, we need more of that right now because I feel like we're so fucking brainwashed into yeah. like, I got to spend $1,200 on the new upgrade on my fucking phone or I got to download the right. newest fucking thing. Yeah. And you're just like, what we're doing is we're... They're making it exponentially more difficult for us to sell more fucking product. And you right. need to understand that. Right. And yeah, we right. can go back and take out old school lights and fucking do the shit that they did 100 years ago and yeah. still tell really great stories with all that stuff. Right. This is supposed to make our lives fucking easier. At what point What point are we smart about this? About, Sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like I said, like there's still utility to it. And, and you for used sure. it. You used for it. Sure. And, and that's what the whole point is like, we're still making this stuff. We're just not promising what you can't do. And, you know, and, that's and to be clear, yeah. the thing that is amazing about LED stuff for me was really the power consumption. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's a Pandora's box. There's no way this is going to change. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, incandescent is still probably the best light source you can use right now that's artificial. Sure. It, I still stand by that in terms of the spectrum. Sure. But as a workflow, Oh my god! It's a fucking nightmare. You know, like I'm used to it because I got trained by it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I still have my hot gloves, my hot hands. You know, the forty dollars gloves and all the stuff. Sure. But then, like you know, we had a we have a you know a, a college grad you know that works for a company and I'm like setting up the lights and he's just like I hate these things I hate these things I hate these things over and over. Because he's got no experience. With, I mean, he he's grown up with it because his dad's a gaffer, but he never sure. had to work with it until. Sure. He's touching it. He's like, oh my gosh. It's like, I, I just burned myself. I'm like, well, because you're not wearing gloves. Like, why would I need gloves just to do this on set? <laughs> I'm, like, and I'm like, this is the reason why I have to do this presentation. It's not to get everyone to use incandescent again because it's never going to happen. No. But it's just to understand this is what you're throwing out. So until you know what you've thrown out and we fix, you know, the industry fixes it, you have to know what you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, and that's kind of what it boils down to. So. And I yeah. still, I mean, I like mixing anyways. I still think that there's a great... Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. There's yeah. a lot of great stuff. I did yeah. a fucking old school photo shoot with them recently, and I got like a... And it, it's power for me more than anything else, because I look at power, and power equals money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about independent stuff, and you're talking about smaller exactly. budgets, 
Like if you're in a studio that has like a pole off the wall and you can tap into that shit, fuck yeah. Bring yes. out all that shit because it's great to go. Yeah. But if you're on a location and you can't afford a generator and you can't exactly. afford a Jenny op, it's a fucking nightmare. And yeah. when the uh, uh, HMI started to increase their reflector ability, so you got like the 1.8, which you can still run off a fucking circuit in the house, it was like, holy fuck, this yeah, is Yeah, that was the holy grail of, yeah, of, yeah. of lighting, yeah. Because yeah, then the, you're the like, yeah. as a doc, you're like, cool, yeah. M18, let me let me do that as a soft source in yeah. a dock, and good to go. Yeah. Um, and with the LED stuff, it's even cooler now because of all those transitions, and that's the cool thing about the potential of the, the multicolor LEDs, is that you can program all these effects, you can program yeah. firelight effects, you can program all that kind of stuff. Exactly. I mean, I, I shot a feature film two years ago, and we're, you know, night exteriors in New York. You know, middle of the night, yeah, with no budget. So, if you do that, yeah, and you try to do an exterior on the street in New York, you need a budget. You need it because normally you would need a generator. Sure. You would then, if you do a generator, you have to pay for the generator. Then you need to pay for the permits. Then you have to like do all stuff with you know the neighbors and the noise ordinances and all that kind of stuff, right? And it just becomes a a nightmare. And then right? you get those units that weigh a yeah. fucking ton, and you have yeah. like three guys that have to fucking right. put, loft them in the air. And then, but I had I had four rainbows, four two foot rainbows, uh-huh. and I only need three of them, right? I had them all connected to each other, wirelessly, directly to each other. One was acting as a controller, and I had them rigged. Uh, you know, armed out over the sidewalk using high rollers. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not high rollers. Sorry, they were whatever combo stands. You, you get the idea. Sure. I only had one person on G and E on this shoot. We we did it together in an hour, and I had them running off batteries. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, I had a bag hanging off each stand with a battery in each stand. And then I, the way I shot the scene, you know, the conception of the scene was basically I had a master shot. Long lens, long lens, so it's kind of compressed from like 200 feet away at a 200 mil lens. Sure. So they're just walking and walking and walking, and they hit these street lights, quote unquote, that you don't see, but ultimately you get these hits of light. Yep. And that's the scene. And we had that, we did that for no budget, with no crew. You can't do this with incandescent. You can't do this with HMI. No way. You can do it with LEDs. And, and and I dialed it into sodium vapor using the diode set that I knew that I knew very well because I designed the color. <laughs> so, but ultimately, like, I was like, this is changing my life as a filmmaker. Sure. And I make this product. Sure. Or rather, I'm in a company that makes this product. Sure. And it's not just this company. This is the technology that is affording me the ability as a low-budget filmmaker to not worry. I'm caring about the story and visual, and I have a visual language I'm using to tell the story. Yep. I'm able to do it. Yep. And that, to me, is the power of the flip side of it. So that's what I was like saying in the presentation. I'm showing limitations. This is what happens. Now, right now, we hate it, and it sucks because it's the only option we have. Sure. But technology is going to keep improving, so it's not a limitation anymore. Now it becomes an option. And that's the power of all this, is that if you know this is an option, you can use it. If you know how this option behaves, exactly, then it becomes a creative tool. Because I was thinking about it. Not a liability. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's what we're trying to push, is you see these color shifts that happen that you don't like. The only reason why you don't like it is because you don't expect it. Right, because you were wanting it to do something else. But if you wanted to do that, yep, that's what I was saying. Like That's what I'm hoping to do, is start predictively saying, okay, 
as an example, the orange color that you get um, with these lights, if it's just RGB, turns red. Yep. And it's it's scary. You get an orange pepper, it turns red. I'm like, oh my god. It's like uh, the, it's like the yellow yeah. spectrum is just like it's yeah, gone. It's just gone. It's yeah. missing, right? So yeah. it's it, it's kind of it's scary. And if you don't know what's going to happen, and it happens on set, then that's the worst. Yeah. Right. And the only solution, again, as we said, is the yellow gel. But if you know this is going to happen, you can design stuff that, on purpose. Right. And then we're getting back to the genius of black and white cinematography of um, Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know if you remember this from the, the 30s version. I don't know if I've seen it. You can YouTube it. It's incredible. It's in the shot. It happens live as lighting change. Jekyll, um, it's a hot, um, Jekyll drinks the drink, the potion. Yeah. He, he starts choking. He goes to the mirror and you see him all in one shot. It cuts to the shot in the mirror. Yeah. And his face transforms as a practical in-camera effect. It's not done in post. And the way they did it was spectrally. They had one light with one color and makeup. Basically, it was red light, I think. It was red light. Huh. And, and the makeup huh. was orange huh. or, or some color, right? So in that red light, it doesn't show up. Now, I have a trained eye now, so I can actually sort of see it. Sure. But when the first time you see it, you don't notice it. And then they just, all they did was just change the color of the light. They changed they, they faded one gelled light up and they dimmed the other one, the original one down. And in in camera, you see him turn into a monster. Fucking genius, Hi. yeah. And this is well, almost a hundred years ago. It's genius. It's genius, right? It's and and the thing genius. is, we could do that now. Yeah. In color with this technology, it's it, it it. And so that's what I'm saying. Like this is not necessarily a bad thing if you know this is something that you can do. And that's the power of understanding things spectrally. That's what I'm trying to teach. Is not necessarily. This is just what's wrong. Is if, if we can think about this a little bit more clearly about what's actually happening, yeah, yeah. then creativity is actually unleashed. Yeah. Not not just hampered by all this nerdy information, you know. So that I mean that's that's the whole goal of all this, really. So anyway. smart, man. Um, all this to say, you can use your gels. <laughs> I couldn't help yeah. but think. Yeah. I couldn't help but think while we're sitting in that room. Yeah. That. Like Roscoe and Lee were in the back going, thank God, thank God, yeah. thank God. Well, that's why they're there. <laughs> you know, that's why they're all there. They're my friends. Just so, so. Like, oh, yes. I've gotten to know them very well. <laughs> oh, thank, thank, thank God. Yeah. We're not dead yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it, anyway, so it, it, it was, it's, it's fun because like, basically, you know, I, I'm just glad because a lot, the, the president of the local 728, the electricians union. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, the uh, light, oper- um, light technicians. You know, they were all there, mm-hmm. um, and the leadership, leadership was. And a lot of people were in attendance were there from the union. So that's the people I really wanted to reach the most because ultimately they're the ones that are on the hook if something goes wrong. Yeah. I don't want them to suffer on set because of these problems. Right, the they, whole, just, yeah. they just ordered a whole fucking rig of these things, put them up on the yeah. fucking ceiling. You got to predict what's happening, not, yeah. you, know, you know, everything in filmmaking should be predictive on prep level. Yeah. So that you're ready so that when, when, when you know, when, um, when you're on set. In the, on set in the heat of battle, yeah. you know exactly what's going to happen or how to make, fix problems, you know. So that, you know, they were very happy 
as a result of the presentation, like, okay, this needs to keep happening sure. for us, you know? And, and, and I was like, great, good, because this is what we want, you know, from the ASC side of things. So it, it was more of a marketing event between Aperture and Quasar, but ultimately this is about, again, education for filmmakers. So, um, but hopefully I think like that, that you guys got that too. Oh, no, totally, yeah. dude, totally. I mean, it was a great presentation. I highly suggest you go online and try to find the live feed. The live feed's still up, or that they did? Yeah, Facebook, uh, the Aperture Facebook page, they have it on their video section. Which so. is the the videotaping of the event that I was at. Yeah. And then um, there's also that other video that we The YouTube earlier. video, yeah. The YouTube video, yeah. which sort of goes over it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting shit, and it's not super science. It's not... I know a lot of you guys are allergic to picking up instruction manuals and going through the signs of it, so it's it's yeah. fun. You'll you'll enjoy watching yeah. it. I think I think the most important thing is if you know the science stuff and get a feel for it. That's the most important thing. Yeah, you can't get a feel for it if you have if you're not exposed to it. Yeah, and I wasn't, you know, and even when I have a science background, I just didn't put two and two together until I started to do this research. Yeah. You know, and now that I'm doing this research, now I'm starting to think a lot more creatively, I feel like, in terms of, like, how do I think of, how would I light a shot um, to have this effect? Well, now I know that the spectrum of this looks like this, and I do this other thing to it. Um, like, my, um, uh, one of our owners is a DP, he was on, and he was telling me how he did something on the boys. He was adding a cyan filter on camera and then he was timing it out with a rainbow. Um, Weird. And the reason why he was doing that was it made the skin tone look more silver. And huh. he wanted a silver sort of effect on the skin on a couple of shots. Was this like a triggered effect? Was it like a... No, it was just a backlight or something. It was just a feel of the emotion of the scene he was trying to go after. Huh. So he didn't understand quite the physics of it. He knew, knew it somewhat... But essentially what he was doing, really, was he was making it more like a sky panel. <laughs> Spectrally. He was making the rainbow, which has a, has a much fuller spectrum, uh-huh. um, especially for skin tones. He was actually restricting it and chopping off all the red information by doing this. And by doing that, it doesn't look warm, you know, glowing skin anymore. It looks more silver because you've... Desaturated, desaturated like the highlights. Curve. Yeah, but it's still a full color image. You know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so I did a spectral like calculation of it to figure it all out, and, and uh, I realized that's what's going on. It's basically it looks more spectral, like 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 a sky panel would or something, because you're basically just chopping off the red spectrum, and and then then you're getting a really interesting quality of 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 uh, tonality on the skin huh. that so. This is where you can keep taking things. Yeah. And if you, the more that he, and then I explained to him what happened, he's like, oh, this is even more interesting because now I'm going to try this. Yeah. And try this. Because if you understand it spectrally, then you can start seeing, wait, it's not just some physics thing. It, to me, it's the same thing as, uh, as, as I said in the presentation. It's EQing on your, your stereo. Sure. If you, if you know how to EQ, and most people, I think, in this day and age, they don't think they're a technical person. But they know how to EQ a stereo. Sure. You've got bass frequencies, you've got mids and highs, and you, 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 and you can twiddle the knobs and you get a, f- a certain effect. And ultimately, that's what's going on here. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think as we can think about that more spectrally, you know, for color, we're going to 
do a lot more interesting things as an industry. So that you know, that's kind of where we're headed as in terms of Quasar. You know, so it's still really exciting. I yeah. think the thing that's been, and I've said this on other on other episodes. I think the most exciting portion of filmmaking right now, at least in the past five years, hasn't necessarily been the cameras. I think the cameras have sort of hit their peak to a certain extent. Yeah, where you're yeah, like, pre- you can get a really good, re- equally good result of any any brand at this yeah, point. Exactly, yeah. you're just fighting over yeah. semantics at this point. So. Yeah. The lighting has been the most intriguing and, yeah. and experimental thing that's been happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we were just talking about this. I have the special effects cinematography book here on the table. This is what the industry has been built on. Yeah, They've come out with technology and then everybody's fucked with that technology and, yeah. and really manipulated it. And how do I process this film differently? And how do I uh, create a whole background that's painted on glass? Like all these different steps yeah. make it fun, yeah. make it exciting. Yeah. Make it less paint by numbers. It's less about taking this thing out, right. reading the instruction manual, dialing yeah. and this that, thing and, in. and that's where everything's going now. I mean, yeah. I, in the last meeting we had at the ASC, we, I invited this group of guys, uh, not, not just guys, this company, because there's women there too, uh, called Lux Machina. And there's other companies like this, the uh-huh. Skies, and oh, I forget the, uh, there's another one too. They're combining LED walls with camera tracking to do live plates and live lighting um, instead of doing it in post. So you're basically compositing on set, right? Which, which is basically is, this special effects book right here. Back then it was doing rear projection, but now you're actually doing live LED walls. But the extra angle that's happening now is now you're using the Unreal game engine, uh, and you generate the backgrounds live based off of the camera position, so the parallax is right. Uh, so it doesn't just look like a plate anymore. Now the backgrounds interacting. Like foreground elements are moving really fast. The background elements are moving very how's slowly. The, how's the rendering on that stuff? Is it, it, it's live, Holy and so shit. It, because it's it's out of focus, you don't see right. The, you can play the with badness it. of it, and then also like um, what they're also doing too is like they track the camera position, right? So you can actually see that it's like a blob on the screen of what the camera's actually seeing. Uh-huh. It darkens the image so that it's properly exposed, and you can set the exposure. And then wacky. That's and awesome. And then, as you pan the camera, that blob moves around. Or if you want it to be green screen, then it's a green screen blob, or whatever you want in there. So that's it's been used in Solo and Mandalorian and all this other stuff. Like a lot of companies are starting to, big productions are starting to go in this direction. So eventually, it's going to get to a point that that um, it will be more accessible to quote unquote normal people, sure. like you and me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, sure. And, and so that's why all these companies. Us and um, um, you know our favorite German friends uh, in Lightyear and Cineo and everyone in between you know in Digital Sputnik everyone's pixelating their lights. Right. Where you've got pixel control. So then you can actually feed video signals. So you can feed video signals or do effects, and um, so that you can actually do interesting effects on camera. Uh-huh. But you can do it with spectrum that actually looks good on camera. Because if you're just doing a TV screen, it looks. Terrible. Right, yeah. right. Because you guys were talking a bit about yeah. that too. That like, why can't you just use a TV screen from now on to light everything? Well, the yeah. problem is, is that yeah, a TV screen is a light. That's what. <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a field of you know 4K by 2K lights, but the problem is that the spectrum is really bad. So for lighting, right. for photography, <laughs> right. So, but that's where things are going. So that's where we're headed. You know, also is fixing that. Not just fixing that, but making it possible so that you can light a set. With, with video. TVs and video. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Ha. Huh. Well, this has been good. 
I think we've done a good job of sort of incorporating in uh, what you guys talked about on that. And then I'm just, I was just really happy to like hear yeah, your likewise. history and hear, hear where you came from. Yeah, thanks. Um, and I, I got a couple more questions before we wrap this thing up. Sure. Um, knowing your history and knowing your love of photography and knowing yeah. your time as a, as a documentarian um, and, you know, brands aside, who gives a fuck? I know you work with Quasar at this point, but like, what do you think... From your perspective, what do you think your optimal kit of tools is as far as lights go? Lights? Um, I'm a sucker for a Source 4. So uh -huh. I always love Source 4s because you can cut them, you can shape them. And it's a hard source. It's bright. So you can bounce it. become soft source. Um, so I, I always love that kind of light personally. So I would probably have one of those of some sort. Yeah. Whether the modern version would be a semi-modern version would be the HMI version of it. Sure. So you stick a Joker on it, on it, and people call them Jolico. Whether it's an 800 watt, 400 watt, whatever. That or nowadays, you know, Aperture is doing it with their daylight um, hard source. Sure. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, and I think ETCs though is kind of unwieldy because it's kind of big and heavy. Yeah, LED, I've used some of their stuff. The LED right? version of it, so I can't really use that right now. And their outputs yeah. kind of, they didn't seem as bright as they... As, yeah, and that's what we were talking about in presentation is that yeah. the more elements you use, you either cut down, you're basically cutting down your output sure. for the same amount of power you're pumping in. Yeah. So if you want the same amount of output or brighter, you need a lot more power. Yeah. So they just came out with a new light that has eight colors to do the color, which is going to be phenomenal spectrum, but it's 50 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the sky panel was like 30 pounds. So yeah. imagine doubling that up yeah. for the same size light. I mean, that's a backbreaker. Sure. You know, you know? and so, um, I mean, all things said, the spectrum is supposed to be incredible. So, but the thing is like, that's the thing, like for me, light and small. So you want a smaller package. So I, the source four sort of thing, like I think Hive has a thing too for their light. Um, so having a hard source like that, uh -huh. and then yeah, maybe like a like a Q line or like a rainbow or something, because then I can use that to uh, be an edge light. I can use it as a, as, as an eye light, mm -hmm. um, um, and if I had like you know a Fresnel, so kind of one of each type of source. Yep. Um, lighting on the lighting side of things, like I I, I prefer to that kind of because you want control of whatever type of light you want. Sure. Um, and. In quality of light that you want, sure. You know, so that's, that's and then I'll have my party pack of gels too. Yeah, I me can't. too. I've got two packs out back. Yeah, and if you're gonna do the Fresnel, get yourself a dimmer. Yeah, yeah, because you yeah. can do some really fucking cool shit with the yeah. dimmer. Yeah, especially when, you know the warmness, the warmth yeah. that you get for the like, fire effects and all that stuff. It's, yeah, it's super cool. Uh, yeah, see, this is the. You know, I, these days, so. Yeah, I love. Well, I mean, I also like the quality of light. <laughs> they don't know. Out. Yeah. Listen, yeah. man, my only light kit is a tungsten light yeah. kit, so <laughs> yeah. that's it. We, yeah. That's all we had. Yeah, and, and you didn't miss out. No, I burned all my hands. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you see, that way when you commit crimes yeah. and shit, you don't have any more fingerprints. It's part of the whole <laughs> I mean, that was the goal. That was, yeah. that was the whole yeah. point. But yeah. it's like that's why I think education should always be with incandescent because not just the pain of it, but ultimately it trains your eye. Yeah. You gotta have a taste for what is right, yeah. what feels natural, and what feels natural is things that are on fire. Sure, I mean, well, it, but it's know, also so. fascinating now because of how they've changed everything for economical reasons. So now you come into a house. Yeah, I literally had to go hunt for 
bare bulb units that are tungsten based. Like, yeah. like it, it's a hard hunt now. So most people have some form of LED fucking energy yeah. saver lights. I mean, they changed the whole face of fucking Los Angeles with yeah. all the lights that yeah. they changed. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, it's gotten much better. So that's why it's <laughs> it's gotten there. You know, people are willing to use it, but yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah. So but you knows? know, for the most part, yeah. But I, honestly, I, I, I love grip stuff, honestly, more because uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's about shaping. Yep. You know, and so... You know, as I said, when I was doing a lot of dock work, that's what I learned. Is that it's how do you take away or how do you change what's there yep. to make it be, you know, kind of beat that light into submission to be what you want it to be, so to speak. So usually I'll put like floor, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put duvetine on the ground, I'll put duvetine on the ceiling, I'll put it on the wall. Sure. And then that kind of just makes it, or when I'm doing the exterior, I'll, I'll, I'll get a four by flop and I'll tabletop it and then I'll I'll that way and put it over the person mm-hmm. so that the light's coming from the front and from the side. And all of a sudden with this one grip thing, you've I've created the, whole the, the, the character of it, but then the exposure's still fine. Yeah. And it looks gorgeous now because it's a soft source because it's the world. And yeah. so being able to do stuff like that, take it away, you know, you know, just watch my mentors work with the exteriors and stuff like that to me I think is I think what works. Sure. You know, is just understanding okay how do i want it how do i like it in mirrors and all that kind of stuff like you know reflectors i'm I'm more of that kind of guy some of that stuff that some of that new technology that new mirror reflecting technology oh yeah the the european uh crls system or something yeah that's that's really cool very expensive though yeah but you you, you do get you you know it is worth the money if you are willing to save up and pay for it because it's i use it on a on a short film the the big one uh-huh. I'm never going to use a shiny board again. <laughs> Forget about the the, the little the, that silvery texture, that stuff that always just wears out over time and changes <laughs> the quality of your. It's just like pointless. <laughs> like this is like from like the 40s. Yeah, yeah. You haven't done any better. <laughs> Come on, you know. And so now someone has. You know that those little reflectors are awesome. Like there's the shiny side and the hard side, and I used it on the shoot, and it was like you got another like half stop. Uh-huh. Which is significant, you know. And, yeah, fuck and, yeah. And I and, and I used that a lot actually. It was like my go-to. Dude, it's source. so cool. I, yeah. I had a very similar experience where I was shooting for years, and I got to work with a really amazing key grip. And he sort of took me aside one day, and he's like, "I'm going to show you how to shape light." Yeah. And yeah. I was like, "Okay." Yeah. And so then you really start to understand like uh, there's so much in life with shaping and bouncing and reflection and and key gripping and gripping yeah, is, is exactly as important if not more important yeah and, and um our uh afi and also he's the head of the program at chapman everyone's favorite one of everyone's favorite cinematography professor's name is bill dill he's an asc member he's legendary everybody's learned underneath him uh-huh. um for the past 25 years i would say i would say um every big name dp that has come out of afi or chapman for the past 25 years and the thing that I love, one of the things that we all have billisms. One of the best one is when you're doing a daylight interior and uh-huh. you've got the sun, right? If that sun is just hard sun with nothing, he doesn't, you know, it just doesn't, you don't believe it. And the way he puts it is like, you know, the, the, the light traveled nine million or whatever million <laughs> years, you know, light years or, you know, miles uh-huh. all the way through the atmosphere. Through the, you know, through the earth, through the window, past the trees, 
and <laughs> nothing's blocking it. Right? It's just like that's yeah. it. It's like come on, yeah. do something to it. Yeah, you know, exactly. and that's grip. You know, the grip is like you, you know if you learn how to shape it, you put the Prantulorus in a certain distance. If you know, understand how to just the nature of shadow yep. of the proximity of the thing to the light yeah. or or to the subject and how you get hard and soft and I love that. That's the stuff I love is seeing the character of light it's being so cool. changed by the world. That's I, I think that's more important and it's cheap. Yeah. You go to a fabric store and you buy stuff. You get a goddamn pizza box and yeah. fucking spray paint it. And... You know, you get muslin, unbleached muslin. Yeah. Buy the yard for like a dollar a yard, you know, and you got basically this, the most popularly used lighting item that Roger Deakins uses. Yeah. Every yeah. lighting setup is like unbleached wasn't here. Un- unbleached wasn't there. Un- you know, eight by this. It, 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 you know, because it's, it's it's beautiful. It's warm and soft and, and you can do a lot of stuff with it. So it's just, that's where I see like you know, DIY level of sort of like, this is really more important. Sure. Is, is know how to work with light. Get, use a car reflector. You know, the sunshade. Use sure. it as you, if you can't afford a normal reflector, use that and use the sunshade from, I, I use that all the time. Yeah. And it works great. So yeah, yeah. I think you can be as yeah. do you, like you can do it with the shit around your house all yeah. the time for any kind of if, if, Yeah. And it'll look great. It'll look fantastic. It, the especially more you with the new it. sensors, especially yeah. with the new fucking cameras. Yeah. Sensors. Yeah. It's, 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 it's great. Yeah. 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 And that's what I learned being on, on just on the dock. And I mean, but the thing is, I developed that taste when I was a sales photographer from New York and, just seeing what I liked, you know, and just seeing yeah. the real world. So if you know how to do that or study it, you know, see the thing that you like, then stand at the position and you look around at the world. And if you look at the world and study it, then you see, oh, that's how you create the light. You got this light over there and it's hitting this and being blocked by this from this distance. Everything creates that final effect. So the more you do that, that's what I always do. I would, uh, how I, I still like that. I mean, we're the cats of set. DPs were just blind, you know, distracted by every shiny thing, and that. But that's how we learn, you know. It's, that's why I always get distracted by it. My wife just makes fun of me. She's like, "You're doing it again," <laughs> you know. But that's what's more important in your kit, I feel. So that and, and uh, the Sun Surveyor or uh, Helios oh, app, yeah, knowing yeah. where the sun's going to be, yeah. where you're going to be. I think that's the other critical things. So I told you, right? fascinating shit and we were just scratching the surface there are those great videos online um what were the videos again do you remember what they were yeah what was the name of the video color scientist explains the problem with rgb lights and that was put out by indie mogul so youtube search that and you'll get you can get even deeper into the stuff that tim was talking about on the show um my story that I told on the show with what happened to me on the Bose job was 100% true. So this affected me at, in my planning. And, and a lot of you are like, well, I don't understand how this affects me. When you get to the point where you're pre-designing something, so like if, you, if your client says, I need you to create a fucking mood board, or I need you to create a lighting diagram, can you show me what this looks like? Because I have to get the artist to approve it. I have to get the creative of the client to approve this thing. So you go, okay, great. And then you spend hours scrutinizing over the color palette. And by color palette, I don't mean just lighting. I mean wardrobe. I mean set dressing. All these different aspects of the piece that you're selling. And these are the things, especially as a director, that it's your taste 
It's the reason why they hire you, right? Because of your taste. I have a, I have a, a love for this lime green carpet, right? And the lime green, as this, it signifies the soul of the fucking dead grandfather. You know what I mean? Like you come up with these things, right? And it's so fucking important to you. And then you get there on set. It looks lime green. You're on set and the clients are looking at it going, this looks lime green. And then they look at the monitor and it doesn't. And what does that do to you? Makes you look like an asshole. A hundred percent. And then you're, you're going down the line. You go to the DP and you go, what the fuck? And the DP's like, I'm doing everything correctly. I don't understand this. And then we got to the point where we understand that the cameras weren't registering those color spectrums the way they're supposed to. So now you know it, right? Now we know. Now we know to ask for more from these manufacturers. And you know what, guys? Fuck this. There's a bigger lesson here. How about we stop swallowing the marketing pills as quickly as we do? Huh? How about we stop going to NAB and being dazzled by all these fucking promises that we get from these manufacturers? And how about we stop being so goddamn brainless and coming back and just spouting back these tech specs that someone's feeding us in a booth. How about you go do what Tim did and you go test him. You put him to the fucking test. I can't believe that he showed up to Quasar and started to fucking line, tape that shit out and literally caught their attention just because he wanted to test it out because he cared enough to actually figure out how the tool works. Ask yourself that serious question. When's the last time you thought about how your tool works, right? When's the last time you opened up something and you really put it through its paces? And how often do we just buy things to brag about the fact that we fucking bought something, right? Think about it. Because this ultimately is an us problem. It's not necessarily the manufacturer's problem. It's an us problem. The fact that they sat around, and not Quasar, but a lot of those other manufacturers, they sat around and figured out the best way to sell this to us. And that was, well, you can dial in gel colors. You don't need your gel kit anymore. Right? That was the hot keywords that came to us. And we went, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't even buy gels, but I don't want to buy gels. <laughs> like, wow, this changes my whole, well, I, you know, I never really thought, of, oh yeah, this is important to me. And then we just regurgitate that fucking sales pitch back. We regurgitate that thing back. And it doesn't matter if it could be LED units. It could be any bullshit that we're fed. I need the newest and greatest iPhone because it's more important that I can retinal scan so I don't have to type in my numbers or whatever the fuck it is. I want an emoji that talks when I talk. Why else is it being made? How is it being sold to us? Ask yourself these fucking questions. For the love of God, have a little bit of cynicism. <laughs> Liam's looking at me like, fuck this guy, you're ranting. Jesus Christ. I don't know how to put it in a more gentle way. This shouldn't have been a problem. 
This shouldn't have been a problem. It shouldn't have got to the point where I'm having to go back and forth with camera departments and I'm having to go back and forth with all these different people going, why does this not look this way? And no one understand why it doesn't look this way. And ultimately, it's because these things need to be held to a higher standard when it comes to filmmaking. All these tools need to be a higher standard because there's so many variables in there. And like I said, go watch that video and Tim will talk his way through it. Um, and I'm super happy to have him on the show. I was super excited to sort of talk to this stuff. I know Liam was nerding out. He was geeking out on the whole thing. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do. I hope you guys liked the episode. And uh, just be cautious, man. I know I come off like a fucking ranting old 40-year-old at this point. Just be cautious about what you spend your money on. And if you are going to buy stuff, don't believe it does it because they tell you it does it. Go use it. And for the love of God, before you start pitching it, and I made this fucking mistake. I did it. I should have tested it before I showed up to set. I should have put them through their paces. And I did test those lights. I just didn't test every color in the spectrum. I hit a point where I was like, yeah, this is great. Little did I know that yellow wasn't going to register. And that's my, that's my fault. And why is that? Is that the system? Is that because I don't spend enough time in prep on this? Is that because I haven't figured out how to convince my clients to pay for two or three prep days? Right? Is that because the clients refuse to pay for two or three prep days? And so I'm trying to cram all this stuff in between work on other jobs? Is that what that reasoning is? I don't know. And we're trying to do stuff so fast and save ourselves all this fucking time. But are we doing anything of substance in that time? And what should I have been doing? I don't know. I'm fucking, I'm falling off the rant. There was a point to it. I'm distracted by the, uh, the OJ car chase that's going on outside my window, which apparently is just him like doing circles around my house. <laughs> they're just refueling. Yeah, the helicopter's left because they had to refuel and now they're back. That's exactly what happened because they were gone before when we decided that we were going to do this. That's exactly what happened. And then they're back. Um, I know, we're going to figure out about it afterwards. Probably some horrible thing. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, there's a lot of great gear out there. There's a lot of great tech out there. Um, use it for what it's there for. It's a tool. It's a shovel. It's a chainsaw. That's literally what it is. Use it for that. Don't define yourself on a chainsaw. Don't define yourself by the light you use. Don't define yourself by the cameras you use. Um, define yourself by the experience that you've been through. Define yourself by your path and respect your path because your path is going to make you the artist that you'll be known for. Um, and that's it. So I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode. Uh, please continue to listen. I have plenty more on the way. And uh, as I say always now, I'll see you next Tuesday.